Hello, everybody. Here we are at year's end. It's New Year's Eve. Happy New Year! And thank you for、uh, celebrating the new year with us here at This Week in Tech. It is our annual year end look back at 2023. We've got some great clips for you from the year. Stay tuned. The best of Twit is next. Podcasts you love from people you trust. This, This is Twit. This is Twit. This week in tech, episode 960 for New Year's Eve 2023. The year's best. This episode of This Week in Tech is brought to you by Discourse, the online home for your community. Discourse makes it easy to have meaningful conversations and collaborate anytime, anywhere. Visit discourse.orgslash twit to get one month free on all self serve plans. Hello, everybody. Here we go. It's the best of 2023. Three, and I love doing it for Twit, especially because every show on this one show that we do, everything, every other show has regulars. This one show we do this week in tech, our Sunday、uh, evening roundtable, always has different people. So there are a lot of different people on this, and it's really kind of fun to think about all the great folks we have、uh, on our shows. We'll start off.、Uh, <laughs> we talked a lot about AI in 2023, and there's some things AI does really, really well. Uh, something's not so well.、Uh, Christina Warren, Tim Stevens, and Harry McCracken and I talked about AI music from Google. It, there is a generative AI music already. It's not, I don't think it's quite there yet. This is a paper from Google Research. They call it Music LM. It's based on large language model like Lambda, generating music from a text prompt. Here is、uh, the main soundtrack of this is the prompt, the main soundtrack of an arcade game. It is fast paced and upbeat. We didn't check my audio. Do you,、uh, do you I think we'll, we'll try it. Turn my audio on. I want to play this song. It's fast paced and upbeat with a catchy electric guitar riff. The music is repetitive and easy to remember with unexpected sounds like cymbal crashes or drum rolls. Does this sound like an arcade game to you? Maybe the.、Uh, Front screen, the attack motor. Maybe Sonic is running down the. That's completely AI generated. Although apparently it's generated by an AI that does a fair amount of plagiarizing, which is why、um, oh, yeah, Google totally is not release, releasing to the,、yeah, the public yet. Totally Here's、um, a slow tempo bass and drums led reggae song. Yeah, man. Everybody get together. We're going down to the beach. No, no. Ant says no to that one. <laughs> Seems like it has the potential to blow away the stock music industry pretty quickly. But yeah, it's a lot better than the crap stock music we, we, we've、yeah. been using. And,、um, and it won't be stock music. <laughs> You'll be able to generate something unique to your own. 280,000 hours of real music、uh, is the training model. To generate、uh, coherent songs for descriptions of significant complexity, as the creators put it.、Um, you want to you feel like you're lost in space, Ant? Ant is becoming our,、uh, our taste tester. Let's see if Ant agrees this is. 
sounds like an AI did it, doesn't it? Sounds like robot music. Now, here's the question. Can we get taken down from YouTube for playing that? <laughs> you may get sued by a bot. Oh, see, that's good. That, no, that's well, that's going to be the interesting thing. I think actually, um, who owns you know, if you're that? able to generate these unique things. Right. Well, that that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it becomes a very interesting question, which is, you know, I think that this YouTube um, it, it relies on someone else being able to say, I have you know, the copyright of this and, and usually have like a, a file register someplace that their, uh, you know, a, a content ID can go and find the same thing. But if it's a uniquely original file, then content ID is not going to find it. So that's what a world we live in. That's cool. What a world. But do you think there might be some uh, cool stuff that might happen if actual human musicians work yes. with some of these tools to brainstorm and, yes. and riff on ideas? And that seems like that could be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm sure it's happening right no, now. I, no, exactly. I mean, I, honestly, I think that the way that, and I know that a lot of creators are really freaked out by generative art and and generative music and, and all this stuff, and, and I understand the fear. But for me, what excites me about this is that the best AI art that I've seen has been from actual artists. Like, those are the people who've been using the best prompts or have been yeah, taken some of the prompts sense. and have taken some of the results and have then made really great things. And I think with music, it's the exact same way, right? Like, you might be able to get something that sounds slightly better than, than than stock music, but it's still not going to be great, right? It's going to take a real artist to then take that and edit it and interpolate it and do what real artists have always done and turn it into something else. And and so the what I've tried to been trying to tell people, because this isn't going away. This whatever your feelings on on this stuff is, it's not going away. And it's only going to become bigger. We can have conversations about ethics and we should. We can have conversations about safety rails and we should, but this is not going away. And so what I've been, the conversation I've been having with people for the last year or so is like, embrace this as a tool to your arsenal to make new, unique and better things rather than looking at this as some sort of existential threat, because you're not going to outpace this. This is not going to be something that you can get away from, but it might be something that if you are able to use you could actually enhance, you know, the, the stuff that you, that you do naturally. And, and that goes for writers as well. Last week, Brianna Wu, who was on the show, her husband writes uh, science fiction, among many other uh, things, said that Frank was stuck with a story that he was, I think he was writing for Analog, but he was stuck with a story and uh, he gave a very extensive prompt to ChatGPT, which wrote kind of a mediocre story, but came up with a lot of things that became a starting point for him and unstuck him. And that seems like that's a very good use of something like chat GPT. Um, I've heard so many descriptions. I love, I love, uh, I love your name uh, for it. What is it? Glib PT? <laughs> uh, Glibbot, I guess. Glibbot. I didn't re I like remember Glibbot. I wrote that. Glibbot. Yeah, that's good. Like that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I've also heard it say uh, the ultimate mansplainer because it, because it's confidently <laughs> wrong, right? And it says, it's, and it's so confident. It's a little it's so patronizing. Confident. It's like, oh, no, let me explain to you how the world works. Although if you tell it that it's wrong, then it gets really humble and, it and apologizes, and apologizes yeah. at great length and says it'll never do it again. Does it correct itself? If you correct it, does it stay correct? Yes. And in fact, some, if it says something that's correct and you tell it that it's wrong, it will apologize for that, too. <laughs> All right. We got more coming up. In fact, more Google talk. In fact, we answer the question, what the heck is wrong <laughs> with Google uh, with some of our panelists as we continue with our best of 2023? This episode brought to you by Gusto. 
Live with gusto. Running a small business is just plain hard. Oh, you don't have to tell me that. Gusto lets you focus on the joy of running your business with its easy-to-use payroll software accessible online from anywhere. Gusto helps more than 300,000 businesses. 90% of their customers say switching to Gusto was easy. You get unlimited payroll for one monthly price. There are no hidden fees. You can have multiple schedules and rates. You can use direct deposit or even print your own checks. And it integrates with your favorite tools to make life easier. Tools like QuickBooks and Xero and Google and more. Plus, with Gusto, you can file and pay all federal, state, and local payroll taxes in all 50 states. No wonder three out of four customers say running payroll with Gusto is easy. It takes 10 minutes or less of their time. Wouldn't that be nice? Gusto cares about the small business owners they work with. And we know money can be tight right now, so you'll get three months free when you run your first payroll. Want to know more? Go to Gusto, G-U-S-T-O, Gusto.com slash tech and start setting up your business today. To our listeners, you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll at Gusto.com slash tech. We welcome Gusto, brand new sponsor. It's great to have them. Uh, and thank you for uh, supporting This Week in Tech. It seems to be a kind of a drumbeat on all of our shows. What the heck is going wrong at Google? Uh, we've got Ben Parr, Daniel Rubino, and O'Docto and J.J. Stone to talk about it next. Let's talk about this article. I mentioned... Uh, Noam Bardeen, who a year or two ago wrote a goodbye to Google, he was the founder of Waze, said, this place, nobody wants to work here. The newest one, Praveen Sheshadri, sorry, got the name wrong, Sheshadri, who joined Google uh, because he had co-founded a company, AppSheet, which Google acquired. He also stayed three years and one day. <laughs> And has left Google publishing a goodbye on Medium. The maze is in the mouse. What ails Google and how can it turn things around? His, I'll, I'll summarize because it's a long article. But essentially, he says it's become a bureaucratic nightmare. Google has 175,000 plus capable and well-compensated employees who get very little done quarter over quarter, year over year. Like mice, they're trapped in a maze of approvals, launch processes, legal reviews, performance reviews, exec reviews, documents, meetings, bug reports, triage, OKRs, H1 plans followed by H2 plans, all-hand summits, and inevitable reorgs. The mice are regularly fed their cheese, promotions, bonuses, fancy food, fancier perks, and despite many wanting to experience personal satisfaction and impact from their work, the system trains them to quell these inappropriate desires and learn what it actually means to be googly, which is just don't rock the boat. His position, I think is probably accurate, is that Google makes so much money from search, they don't want to take any risks anywhere else. And risk aversion, Ben, you're a startup guy. Is it a good thing for a startup to be risk adverse? That's how you die <laughs> if you're risk averse. You can't do a startup if you're risk averse. You stay at Google. You, uh, you don't I, die if you can buy. Yeah, but it, uh, <laughs> um, it's actually it, that is a good point though because uh, Amy Hood during again the investor call when talking about being and their uh, four way into search she's, she's a CFO uh, at Microsoft yeah 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 and she said 
their advantage is the fact that they actually have small, not a lot of market share right now. She says, well, we can take big risks and we're going to, and we're going to pivot and innovate very quickly because we can. And that's a really good point because, I mean, so Microsoft screws up a little bit in search. So, <laughs> like, right. but if Google screws up in search, Uh-oh. yeah, it's a big deal. It really affects the bottom line of the company because Google, for, for all intents and purposes, is an advertising company at its core. So it's interesting because Shashadri used to work, he worked for years at Microsoft. And uh, he says, Microsoft, man, at the end of his article, Microsoft managed to turn things around but it required exceptional leadership and good fortune. Yeah. I feel Nadella, like there's an under, absolutely. Yeah. There's an undercurrent to that article, uh, which, you know, is probably that, and is that, uh, Microsoft really turned around when Satya Nadella came in. Uh, I think there's an undercurrent of what he's trying to say about Google and its current leadership. Uh, I will say that their founders of Google are more involved again. And that's been a story that's been coming up. And there's a reason for that. Uh, I think Google's going to go through a large transformation. What that exactly looks like, I don't know, uh. but they have to in the current moment. Uh, even with Mike, with Meta and Zuckerberg, he's intending on making a bigger transformation. He's He's flattening the layers. He's telling a bunch of managers and directors that they need to become individual contributors or get out there. That's a, he wants to not end up in the position where there's multiple layers. And it's this article. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, basically that's what Shashadri says is it's not too late for Google, but it needs to transform. And I think the subtext is it's not going to happen under Sundar Pichai. Uh, he is a bureaucrat through and through. And that's not what you need at this time. You think Larry and Sergey, obviously they weren't risk adverse when they started Google. Do you think they can come back and, and, and whip it into shape? How long before so they part company with Sundar Pichai? So one thing that they could do just before the smart guys get in, the one thing that they could do is charge eleven ninety nine and give me a new check. <laughs> you guys have the floor. <laughs> Say something smart. I took the glasses off, Ben, so it wasn't you talking. Risk aversion. Green is, check anytime I'm on Google Meet. <laughs> risk aversion yes. is interesting. I mean, look at clearly Elon Musk is not risk averse, right? He is. He's, oh Lord, no. He loves no. taking a risk. There is too much. You could have of, too much uh, risk. Yeah. You could have too much. Yeah. Risk. But there, 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 it depends on like look at size and stage. You're super big. Like it makes sense. You gotta be a little bit more risk averse, or like risk a whole bunch of your money. Uh, and Google, you know, has tried to launch other new things. Uh, through like the alphabet structure of like other bets and all that, but none of those bets are super big yet. Maybe with people, some people know Waymo. There's like the life sciences one, but they've uh, killed really a lot needs- of that. By the way, they fired almost everybody yeah. from the uh, area 120. Uh, they're yeah. they're slowly killing those bets because Ruth Porat, their CFO, is so risk averse that she's just killing anything that doesn't make money. This will be the most consequential year for Google yeah, in, since agree. since its since its launch. And I agree. how that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. How how they handle it determines everything. And they've already lost a hundred billion dollars just by being second dish. So yeah. right, <laughs> they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. They but they better do something. This it is I, I thought good. the most interesting art, uh, part of the article. The way I see it, Google has four core cultural problems. They're all the natural consequences of having a money printing machine called ads that has kept growing relentlessly every year, hiding all other sins. 
And the sins he talks about are no mission, no urgency, delusions of exceptionalism. I've seen that so often in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley where you go, hey, we're the kings. Mm-hmm. We're in top. I remember I had friends at Atari in the 80s who said, hey, wow. we're the kings, right? We can't lose. And then finally, mismanagement. He says, unfortunately, this is not my first experience watching the gradual decay of a dominant empire. I looked through, lived through more than a decade, 1999 through 2011, at Microsoft as it slowly degraded and lost its way, right? Uh, yet yep. Google has a few strengths Microsoft didn't have as it tried to recover. It isn't a culture of ego and fiefdoms. That was the problem at Microsoft. Manu Cornet's famous picture of everybody shooting at each other. Right. The, environmental, the environment values introspection at Google. The stated core values of the company are rock solid, and there's still immense respect for Google in the external world. There is hope for Google. Don't wait too long. I like what you said, Ben. I, would, I think that's right on. This is the year, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It just is. We will see. Yeah. I, we'll be covering it. Yeah. I, I know, you know, we should also not be too. I, I think Google could definitely recover from this. Like, they're just like Microsoft, right? Microsoft definitely lived through this with, you know, kind of bad leadership and just all sorts of internal problems. And they were able to turn it around. And I think, you know, Google's not going to go anywhere. They may have a couple of rough quarters and all that, but they got a lot of smart people still working there and they'll be able to, you know, but they got to get the right management in place. That's true. Uh, you know, there was that other article a few months ago talking about how one of the issues were people were always creating new projects there, but then there was no support for that project going forward. And it, it, so you would get promotions for doing projects, but not promotions for right having a successful product. No, so no incentive really to maintain the uh, success. Right. So they just dwindle. They away. would watch it and move on. Yeah. yeah. And so this idea of Facebook, you know, it's like you brought that up, like he doesn't want managers to be managing managers, which, yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people are on board. It, should, it shouldn't be um, like a shocking revelation to have in management. I feel like but he, he was rewarded handsomely for that. Their stock went through the roof, even though their quarter was kind of okay. because. He said, I'm just going to eliminate a lot of management. And, you know, stockholders like to hear that because it's going to be, you know, the was it the year of optimization or something he said regarding their uh, the way that companies could be run. But that's the smart thing. And Google probably needs to do something similar to that. Do you think it's Sheryl Sandberg's departure that that changed things at Facebook for Mark, that that he now can flatten the structure? She was for so long really running the operation. It, it was the market, I think. And like, you know, the, it, it, I think maybe there's a factor to Cheryl, but really it's the market that forced it, right? Yeah. He wanted to put a lot of money into metaverse, but the metaverse side has barely been talked about since then. And he's talking, he's like, I think uh, Zuckerberg has heard what the market wants to hear um, and is making those changes. And I think it's kind of like a founder reasserting more uh, control and going into a little bit of wartime mode, which he needs after what's happened with like iOS changes, like really hitting the ad business and them trying to go and fix it, fix the core pieces. And then you can go and add other pieces on top. That's what's happening right now over there. And yeah, Google, they'll be fine. They have some of the smartest people on the planet. We shouldn't be talking about them as like, they're like out of the fight. That's like not even yeah. close to what's happening. They, they brought like there, there's some crazy AI things that they can just pop out that will just blow people's minds. Uh, but there's like, efficiency and speed and things that they will have to go and solve. And this year will tell, like, can they do that or not? And there could be a lot of changes as a result if they can't. 
I do want to celebrate, though, a 50th anniversary. 50 years ago, the Xerox Alto, this is a story from IEEE Spectrum, we're still living in the Alto's world. It said the Alto transformed computing. Listen to the lead. I'm sitting in front of a computer looking at its graphical user interface with overlapping windows and a high-resolution screen. I interact with the computer by pointing and clicking with a mouse, typing on a keyboard. I'm using a word processor with the core features and functions of Word or Google Docs or LibreOffice's writer, along with an email client that could be mistaken for a simplified version of Apple Mail or Outlook or Thunderbird. This computer runs other software written using object-oriented programming. Its networking capabilities can link me to other computers and high-quality laser printers. You're thinking, so what? My computer has all that too. But the computer he's sitting in front of is a 50-year-old, meticulously restored Xerox Alto at the Computer History Museum. It actually is running. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I, you I know, to, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I have to laugh at this because when I was born, uh, I was born in 1980. And when I was born, my my grandfather gave like... One of the things he bought for me as an investment was like shares of Xerox. <laughs> and had this world gone in a very different direction, it could have been worth something. I would have been eaten by now, is what I'm saying. Shouldn't have given you <laughs> Apple. Yeah, you'd we'd be eating yeah. you. Yeah. Unfortunately, it did not turn out that way, and that's Who worth knew? a few hundred bucks. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I'm looking at that article, and you know what it makes me think of, Leo. Uh, it must have been about 40 years ago, like mid 80s. I read in either Computer Currents or the San Francisco Examiner, there was an article by Dvorak, and he was describing uh, the first Macintosh. And I remember there was some history about the where you know, it came from, Xerox, and so on and so forth. But there was a quote from Dvorak where he said, I don't see these taking off because it uses this thing they call <laughs> the a mouse. mouse. And Poor I don't see John. anyone ever <laughs> wanting to use a mouse. You know, you make 100 accurate predictions. You make one <laughs> bad prediction. They all remember that. Yeah, he didn't like the mouse. So much. Uh, he was wrong, obviously. Like there, 40 years ago. Yeah. Oof. There's a famous book uh, you should probably read. Maybe. Do you still have those shares? Fumbling the Future, <laughs> How Xerox Invented, Then Ignored mm. the First Personal Computer. I don't need to rub salt in those wounds, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Alto, I think, was the thing that Steve Jobs saw, saw in a uh, tour yeah. of Xerox Park. Park. He yeah. certainly saw, you know, all of the concepts, the overlapping windows the mice and stuff and and went back he actually uh it's according to folklore.org which is uh andy hertzfeld's wonderful site about the early days of apple steve misinterpreted something he saw he thought he saw overlapping windows and he went back uh to uh the macintosh team or i guess it was the lisa team at the time and said they can do it we should be uh, we should be doing this and it turned out that he misunderstood what he was seeing. In fact, they weren't they weren't doing it. But weirdly enough, the amazing talented team, Andy Hertzfeld, Bill Atkinson, did create overlapping windows, even though Xerox didn't do it at the time. They did tiled windows. Mm-hmm. So uh sometimes misinterpreting the future. That's <laughs> maybe even better. <laughs> was, wasn't it just like a glitch, like a screen redraw? Didn't yeah. That didn't completely clear the screen yeah. or something? Yeah. He's, he came away with a completely wrong uh, idea. Uh, so if you enjoy your GUI and your mouse uh, and your laser printers, 
God, I remember your WYSIWYG the, editor. What, your WYSIWYG editor. You remember when the first laser writers came out from Apple? I think they were, there were thousands of dollars. They're very expensive. Those font cartridges. Ah, those, oh, yeah. that's where the money was. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were, those were really. So I remember a friend of mine, Tom Santos, who uh, owned at the time a Macintosh or an Apple store. It wasn't a Macintosh store in uh, San Francisco. Mac Adam. I guess it was a Mac store. Mac Adam had a van with a laser writer and would drive around and do portable desktop publishing. He would come to you and you'd say, I want my newsletter to have uh, three fonts. <laughs> he could do it all. What was the speed on Apple Talk? The Apple oh, Talk? Oh, I don't I, I know. The- it was Very slow. slow. Yeah. Yeah. Very it slow. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was, I think the thing that's interesting is that it, Apple was doing something that wasn't in the mainstream of computing at the time. And so as a result, uh, a lot of the things Apple were doing, it wasn't so much like this is the future. It was like this is a this is like the Amiga. This is over in a corner somewhere because because you know the, the PC came out that was mainstream computing. But I think over time, um, Apple has kind of I mean shifted the Overton window. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, hugely influential. Obviously, you look at Windows ninety five and the you know hard to say that the cues were not taken for the Mac. True. But these things always inform each other, right? Like yeah. they go back and forth. Yeah. Everybody sort of learns from what everybody else is doing and they drive the state today. I mean, if you look at the stuff today, despite, you know, I'm a Mac user. I've been a Mac user for 35 years. I've used windows. I've supported windows in my previous career as an IT guy. When you get down to it, the details between the two are pretty small in terms of like, yeah, I could go yeah. use a windows computer. I'm not going to have a problem with it. Like these days, the lingua franca really is all. Yeah pretty universal and it's just the implementation details i think that's absolutely it's not a religion it really isn't yeah yeah Um, by the way p holder in the discord has uh told me that the speed of apple talk was 230.4 kilobits which is actually a lot faster than i thought it was i thought it was faster yeah down in the the 60 or so but all right but you could trust p holder he knows his stuff he Mm -hmm. knows he knows his stuff uh a lot of people thought that jobs stole what he saw at park uh, and and made the Macintosh or the Lisa happen, uh, but I think it's now understood that they licensed it. Right, it was okay. They didn't steal it, uh, but they had some good ideas. And thank goodness because Xerox never did capitalize on the Alto. But here we are, fifty years uh, later, on the fiftieth anniversary of the uh, of the machine that changed everything. Aren't you glad we don't still we're not still sitting at a, bl- a green screen with a blinking cursor on the command line? I don't know. It had a had a charm. I, I kind of <laughs> do it sometimes. I still work in terminal. Yeah. Oh, I love Emacs, so don't, I'm the wrong guy to ask. Yeah, but but we're Mary very, Jo Foley writes all their articles in Notepad. Notepad. We're very <laughs> retro people. We're very retro. You know. All right. Now we'll take that break that I was promising you. No need to fear. We have more to come in just a little bit with our wonderful panel. Lou M M from This Week in Enterprise Tech is here in studio uh, with his VM machine. You didn't have to make a VM machine glow or anything. You know, it could have just been a box. You got to have it glow. All right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Dan Morin, science fiction author, also here. And from the Vatican, Father Robert Balassare, digital Jesuit. What is that? This is a Nabis tag, which is a company that's long gone out of business, but it's the year of the rabbit. So I'm. Oh, the ears would move like. It's in some informational way or they would dance or 
so you could link right. your Navis tag to the Navis tag of a significant other. And like when you move the ear on yours, it moves <laughs> the ear on that one. Who's moving the ear on the, uh, on, on the other one? Is it just- uh, the other the other one is in uh, Pope Francis's room. So. Okay, there we go. A little wave, <laughs> a little wave. Hello, just saying hi from the Holy Father. Earlier today on Ask the Tech Guys, I likened the Silicon Valley Bank debacle to a game of Jenga, where the uh, FDIC, the Fed, have pulled out one little piece of wood, but now the whole tower is kind of swaying, and we're waiting to see what happens next. Um, I both of you have written about it. Uh, Stephen, we'll start with your story. The ugly lessons <laughs> of Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Uh, one of the stories that came out, I think, today is that uh, there have been uh, intimations that they were taking too much risk for years, that they've even been under investigation uh, for some time now. Um, what do we learn? What have we learned from this? And And is this going to be problem going forward credit suisse now is is uh, kind of right shaking right well we we learned a few things and none of them you know as uh, my headline flex are, are pretty one one thing that was, struck me was how the bank really operated as a sort of a cheerleader for the whole um ecosystem of founders and funding and you know uh they threw parties um they had uh, a lot of uh clients in the wine industry so you know uh they would sort of cross-pollinate you know those with the tech people and share the great vintage wines with them and <laughs> you'd go into their offices they you know some of the executives of the bank would have wine fridges and you know uh and I, I mentioned saying, is this sort of behavior um, really what you want from your fiduciaries, right? The, you know, I when I think of a bank I want to trust, I think of like the the guy who hired Mary Poppins, right? You know, the you a know, banker, the, yeah, a banker, With a yes, bowler and, so, and a furl, tightly furled umbrella, yeah, yeah, and it, and he says, I know where everything is, and at six twenty, I'm going to come home, and then you know, going to be greeted, and you know, kind of, and and that's that's sort of the boring kind of person you want in charge of your finances. So the other, so these people who like say they they embrace risk all the time. As it turns out, they weren't cognizant of this kind of risk. Um, it was on, it was avoidable. Any idiot knows what the limit is in what you're insured about. And then when it happens, they sort of do a 180 from their normal point of view of saying, you know, government stay out of it and saying, hey, the government should like now forget about this limit and, you know, uh, go from $250,000 to reimbursement to infinity because, you know, otherwise our payrolls can be lost. Well, this is an industry that's laid off over 100,000 people. Right. And, you know, the fate of those people is sort of shrugged off. And now all of a sudden, you know, meeting a payroll and having people not paid for a day or two is, you know, going to collapse the economy. So it's played sort of the, um, you know, insularity and, you know, hypocrisy, I guess, of uh, the valley and, and, you know, and their rush to, you know, really create a bank run. Um, uh, from the, this place where they loyally uh, supported for a number of years, you know, uh, show that this, you know, one for all, all for one uh, community, you know, really, you know, uh, fell apart when the bullets started flying. Yeah.
but you would agree that the Fed uh, and the FDIC did the right thing to backstop all those deposits, or no? Well, um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think that you know maybe there was a way to do that where they could have, uh, you know, uh, maybe had a much higher limit, or, or said, you know, uh, at a certain point, you know, you're, that all your deposits aren't guaranteed for this day. But meantime, by then, things had gotten to the point where, you know, uh, they were saying, well, the whole economy is at risk. People uh, deposits aren't going to be protected. And the fact is, you talk about hallucinations in GPT-4, you know, the whole monetary system is kind of a hallucination. That You know, everyone sort of accepts the fact that if nothing happens, if people don't pull out their money right away, banks are okay. But uh, the fact is that, you know, if things could turn on a dime and uh, we could be facing giant problems in the economy uh, because we all of a sudden we abandon our shared agreement not to pull out money from the bank. Right. Alex, your article uh, talks about, and you mentioned this earlier, the over-financialization of tech and, and yes. the SVB bank clash. What do you mean? What's, what's that all about? Well, look, one of the things that I saw that I that really sort of made my antennas go up was that there was, you know, the public largely supported the bailout, but there was a loud enough and big enough chunk of the public who were willing to let the bank fail, that it was worth examining who they were and why and what has happened to tech, that it began as this underdog industry, one that, you know, was there fighting the establishment, one that you could root for, that was fun, um, that everyone would support, basically, unless you were like the establishment, would support, you know, keeping keeping vibrant and keeping healthy. And why would anyone then say that, okay, well, we should have uh, have these companies fail. They're just, you know, rich uh, bastards anyway. But that's what's exactly. happened. But look at Which Elon Musk as a perfect example. Right. The trans transition from, you know, uh, the the uh, Stark Industries genius transforming by yes. being a rebel, by being one of the crazy ones, the people who think different, changing the world, making the world a better place, to just another batshit crazy billionaire. Right. Uh, so, look, I think that it goes beyond Elon, though. And this is the point that I was making in the story, and we talked about it on the show also, is that tech has been, like most much of the economy, over-financialized, right? Which is that, it has in some, not everyone, of course, but some companies have just tried to squeeze every ounce of money onto the balance sheet, no matter, not really paying attention to the cost. One example, which we know is that DoorDash, right, would take tips that it would get for Dashers and then <laughs> Keep count that towards its minimum payment to the Dashers. <laughs> so they would never see the tip. And I have to say that, like, when you do t this type, when you do that stuff, there is a downstream risk. People are going to see it eventually. And I think you started to see it when, you know, everybody, you know, in the, in the U.S. at least, knows an Amazon worker, knows a Dasher, knows an Uber driver, right? And when, those, when, that, when that squeezing happens, there's a political cost to it, which you end up having people who are saying, okay, like, let the bastards fail. And, you know, they're not, they don't care, like, necessarily, and this was the text, text argument, right? Your money's not going to go to DoorDashers. But well, what they're saying is, well, the whole DoorDash system is corrupt. Now, DoorDash, of course, has fixed that, right? After some some press attention. Because they got fighting. caught. Yeah. But it ex exactly. It exists all over. Right. And I think that, you know, for those of us who root for tech, I root for tech to be a strong industry. 
but what what you know people want from tech is that um, it provides all this benefit it can provide through computing through technology in a way that isn't needlessly extractive and the fact that some cordons of the industry have become needlessly extractive has cost so much political will that there was a very vocal group of folks who said let it fail and in fact when it was coming into the white house right with discussions of like when this thing should be bailed out it took the whole weekend before biden eventually gave in he and was aware me, i'm I sure think, of the political backlash yeah, of, of quote, course bailing out billionaire bailout yeah that was what he was worried about and it doesn't have to be that way because at its best tech is for the little person and I, that's all the whole thing and i talked to my story a little bit about new york tech meetup i don't know if either of you have been there but it was this amazing meetup it still goes on to some extent but at its height in the early 2010s we would have local startups come in and just kind of show off what they built and it was right after the financial crisis so you started to have some people from wall street seep in to try to get second careers inside tech and whenever you you uh, spoke about your finances, your VC fundings, uh, the whole place would boo and people would <laughs> shout, get to the demo, right? And that's sort of what I think, the, going back to that spirit of I get to that. the demo, show us the tech. Like, I think that's what we need to get back to in some ways. To some degree, yeah, for, this is for, what for, happens for, for, in all industries, right? I mean, the, the, in the early days of of oil, the wildcatters and the, the crazy guys digging oil wells and having gushers. And eventually it's successful. It monetizes. It's a bunch of fat cats with monocles and cigars. That's what happens with any successful uh, industry, right? Stephen, I'm yeah, sorry. For, for, you know, for many years, the overwhelming narrative of tech was David versus Goliath. And then at a certain point in the past few years, Goliath. it's changed. Yeah, it's changed to, it's changed to the Icarus myth. Ah, to too close yeah. to the sun. Yeah. It's, it's wings are melting isn't it so funny that 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 big silicon valley bank collapse it was such a big story at the time and uh we forgot all about it thanks to alex kantrowitz of the big tech podcast and Stephen levy uh that was great insight that they had into that uh we'll have more in just a bit but first a word from our sponsor we love our sponsors and this one i know very well because i use it Discourse. It's the software that runs our twit.community forums. Discourse should be the online home for your community, too. I looked at a lot of different choices, and I'm so happy I chose Discourse. For over a decade, Discourse has made it their mission to make the Internet a better place for online communities. It certainly is for us. And, of course, one of the things that was most important to me, Discourse is open source. And, and it's really well supported. It's trusted by more than 20,000 online communities, including some of the biggest companies in the world, as well as Twit. By harnessing the power of discussion, real-time chat, and AI, Discourse makes it easy to have meaningful conversations and collaborate with your community anytime, anywhere. I don't know about you, but but for us, community is job one. If you're ready to create a community, visit discourse.org slash twit. You'll get one month free on all self-serve plans. And it's great whether you're just starting to get going or you want to take your community to the next level because they've got a plan for you. There's a basic plan, which is great for clubs, for even for families. It's a private invite-only community. There's the standard plan if you want unlimited members and a public presence. There's a business plan for active customer support communities. And so many top brands use Discourse as 
their customer support community. It really works. One of the biggest advantages to creating your own community with Discourse, you own your own data. You'll always have access to all your conversation history. And of course, Discourse will never sell your data to advertisers. Discourse gives you everything you need all in one place. Make Discourse the online home for your community. We run our community at twit.community with just me and one other person. And, and and it's great. It's easy to moderate, easy to run. I just love it. Visit discourse.org slash twit. Get one month free on all self-serve plans. you got to do this. Discourse.org slash twit. And we thank them so much for uh, their support of this week in tech. I love Corey Doctorow. We love having him on. Uh, he is so smart. Um, we had him talk a little bit about copyright. And he actually, you know, he's an author. So he had a very unique point of view. We also talked uh, to the great Georgia Dow, Ian Thompson and Renee Ritchie. There's some good information in here. Another great clip from 2023. Publishers are working hard, well, now to put libraries out of existence. See, we talked last week. Yeah, we talked last week about Internet Archive, uh, which lost its case this week in uh, in a lower court ruling for uh what it calls uh what is it cloud library distribution it's uh, it's, it's controlled digital controlled lending. digital lending cdl yeah. there you go yep. cdl yeah so well, just a bit let me make sure i understand what was happening so the uh, internet archive which is the wayback machine it's archive.org it's really the library of the internet and a really valuable resource for everybody in fact they they actually bought and uh, and housed themselves in a old library building in San Francisco uh, near Golden Gate Park. This is beautiful. So they a church actually. It's a church, but it's, it, a, it's got columns. Church. It looks yeah. like I don't know. I imagine it's the amazing. Library of Alexandria must have looked yeah. like beautiful. Uh, beautiful. Yeah, I guess it's a church. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the uh, they were uh, taking uh, books, often donated by libraries, old book, used books that the library was going to replace, and uh, uh, digitizing them, mm-hmm. making ebooks out of the paper books, and then mm-hmm. lending them out, and and lending them out just as a library does, where they it's like they have one copy, and you can't two people can't check out the same copy. So, yeah. uh, and that's how libraries do it as well. But the publishers have sued. Was it now? Are they suing over that, or was it the fact that they relaxed restrictions in COVID? Would no, they- that's what they're suing over. It's not about the relaxed restrictions. I have to be really careful here because I work with Electronic Frontier Foundation, and we are counsel for the archive. I want to be really clear that I, anything I say about this case is me speaking personally and not speaking on behalf of EFF. I'm a contractor to them, not an employee, but I'm still part of the organization. So. I mean, it's a very nuanced question about copyright law, but for me, there's this like very bottom line idea, which is that libraries are really old. Libraries are not just older than copyright or publishing. They're older than books and paper, right? Libraries have been around since we had scrolls of papyrus and they're, they're older than commerce as we understand it. And the idea that we have made a technological change, not more profound than the technological changes we made when we went from papyrus to paper or scrolls to codexes or, you know, from books copied by scribes to books that were printed, that the idea that somehow digital is so profoundly different that we just say, okay, well, you can, you can lend out books that are copied by monks 
you can't lend out books that are represented on hard drives because we are just in a new world. To me, that is, um, it's not just ghastly in terms of how it makes me feel about a future for my family as a writer and an artist, but also as someone who believes in public goods and access to human knowledge. It, it, I may, I fear for it as someone who cares about books, because, you know, one of the things about books is that they do have this kind of penumbra of antiquity and virtue, where like if you're making a dumb student film and you want to show society's collapse, you just put a pile of books together and you set fire to them. And people are like, oh, yeah, it's like eating dogs or something. That's like wrong. We know everything has gone wrong. And if you just convince people that books are just like another widget, that they're like a Happy Meal toy, uh, people might, in fact, take you at your word and like stop buying books just so they can be surrounded by them and stop giving people books as a way of showing them how special they, they are to them and stop thinking about books in this kind of wonderful way that that is such a source of revenue to writers and publishers. You know, if I if I have a healthy retirement, it'll be as much because of that as because of anything I ever wrote. And and I really worry that you have this idea that we should just treat publishing like another business, like like we could treat, you know, your puppy as just another source of protein. And and, you know, if we do that, I think the worst thing that could possibly happen is that we'd succeed. Leah Holland of Fight for the Future said in a chilling ruling, a lower court judge in New York has completely disregarded the traditional rights of libraries to own and preserve books in favor of maximizing the profits of big media conglomerates. And Tech Dirt, uh, I think I probably was Mike Masnick, wrote that this is really just a straw man. The, the publishers have wanted to get rid of libraries all along. And this case is just one step forward in their in their uh, yeah. goal. Uh, of course, the Internet Arch- Library today. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't start a library today. No way. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. you know, if libraries didn't exist and you tried to found one, they'd be like, we can't do that. Shut up, commie. You, you can't know? do that. Give away. <laughs> books. What commie came up with this idea? Lend Thomas books. Jefferson. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin? Franklin. What the yeah. hell was wrong with him? Uh, yeah, they will appeal. Internet Archive, uh, Brewster Kale will appeal, of course. And uh, I imagine this is going to the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, I don't have high hopes of the Supreme Court understanding uh the risks here but maybe they would maybe they would yeah i mean the dirty secret about ruth bader ginsburg is as good as she was on other issues she wasn't good on copyright yeah uh you know copyright's a weird issue that people split in a million ways on uh and you know i think that like uh, as much as there are elements of copyright that i depend on for my living there's parts of it that are structured so badly that they actually get in the way right like this like the fact that we have a copyright law that says that Amazon can put DRM in my books and then I can't authorize you to remove it is a problem with copyright. Right. And, you know, it's like it's, you know, when people say, don't you like copyright? You have to be really specific. Like what part of copyright are you asking me about? Well, the parts that get me are great. You've always been. And it's really great because you are an author. You make your living off of writing. You've always been very clear that you don't need that to make a good living off of writing and that you're happy to offer your books through creative commons and even free downloads on your website. I've done that too. And, but also like if you, if you told me that my copyright would endure for my life in 50 years, instead of my life in 90 years, I wouldn't write fewer books. Right. And you know, I was just in fact negotiating a contract with someone to do some um, work with my work. And, uh, and we had this question about 
whether certain uses would be reserved to them if I wanted to repurpose it in the future. And I said, like, this is fine, except that what we're ultimately talking about is that if I give my copyrights over to a library on my death, your grandchildren could sue that library over how it chooses to preserve it. Right. That is like and that's a, a giant X factor that plays up in, in many ways. Right. We, we had Stephen Joyce, the grandson of James Joyce, refusing to allow scholars to research Joyce's work because uh, he didn't like how they characterized Joyce's work and Joyce scholarship languished for years. You had uh, Warner Music conjuring up uh, fanciful stories out of the distant past to say that they own the uh, uh, lyrics to Happy Birthday and and shaking down restaurants and movies and all kinds of places if they tried to sing Happy Birthday in public. That's why when you go to like TGI Fridays, they had these weird birthday songs that like, <laughs> Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday. It was like they didn't want to pay Danegeld to, to Warners, right? So, you know, like there are lots of elements of this. You know, a little goes a long way and we need to attend to the actual like, distributional outcomes right when you when you tweak copyright in this way who does it make richer and who does it make poorer it, it, and and i think a copyright that benefits artists is is something i can get behind but one that uh moves most of that benefit to say intermediaries like libraries or like uh, publishers or distributors or digital platforms i i don't think that's that's serving any kind of artistic purpose i think that's just rent seeking uh we've spoken a lot about Corey's. uh fantastic blog post on insurtification, which is what I call it. Uh, it's a, this is, this ties into that. I also want to send people to the website battle for com. This is uh, a site where you could sign a petition and find out more. And you really should uh, find out more because we want to, I mean, look, we want to save not just the internet archive, which by the way, all by itself is well worth saving, but every library in America. So I, mean, I, I can't speak for the other participants, but I've got to say, I would not be in the career I'm in if it wasn't from our public library. Yeah. You know, I spent entire summers in there. I went when I took my wife back to the UK, we went to to my old library just to smell the books and, you know, uh, in, in, enjoy the feeling. They're still running the same literacy courses that I took, which started mm. me on the road to being a journalist. They're an incredibly important resource. It's the last institution that in, in every town where you're valued because you're a person and not because you got something in your wallet. Love it's the it. last place. Yeah. Well, you do have something in your wallet, your library card, but that's, uh, yeah. that's worth <laughs> but getting. If you don't have one, they'll give you one. They'll give you, they so give you it to you. don't even have to have one. Yeah, they'll <laughs> give it to you. Right. They'll put it in your wallet for you. Corey's uh, book is right now on Kickstarter. Uh, it's, this would be a very good time. To sign up for Red Team Blues, another audiobook that Amazon comes out from Macmillan in, in on the twenty fifth. So nice. you, it will be will be uh, I'll be touring the U S, the U K, Canada, and Germany. And and I can see uh, Brad Pitt as Marty Hench, forensic uh, CPA. Yeah, it's the story <laughs> of a man and his coin, Leo. Easily a man and his coin. a man and his coin. I this they're going to option this one, especially this is the new James Bond. This is going to be. Albert Broccoli is going to be on the phone any day now. I can tell you right now. But the well, other kind thank of bond, you. the financial bond. I would settle for a lesser zucchini. I don't need the broccoli. <laughs> it's fine. 
Um, I did want to talk about something, and Christina, I don't know, um, you know, if you if you feel like this is something that you aren't able to discuss, or you are, of course, I totally understand because this is about um, Security Copilot. Uh, Microsoft is working on uh, sort of a GPT-4 powered assistant for cybersecurity, and I thought this was cool given um, Microsoft seems to be in the same way. I think, of course, first and foremost of Apple, because I cover that company more than any other in a given week. And one of the things that I've seen Apple do, and Amazon has done this in a big way, too, is sort of brand their um, artificial intelligence stuff. Right. And so Siri is not just the virtual assistant at Apple. It is also uh, the sort of AI mind that is paying attention to your behavior and then serving up different suggestions. They call those Siri suggestions. And we've seen now Microsoft, um, where at one point I think Cortana was seeming to be the big sort of overall umbrella brand for all of the different kinds of AI active uh, suggestions it was making. Now it seems like Copilot is the brand. And so we've seen Copilot in um, in GitHub. We've seen Copilot uh, making its way into Office. And now there's a security Copilot. And this is uh, specifically for security professionals. And I think, once again, this is kind of a fascinating concept, this idea that you will have a little angel uh, sitting on your shoulder that is helping you as you're moving along and you are uh, working on things to provide some assistance to provide um, even because of the fact that uh, uh, this this virtual assistant or this virtual experience can kind of look at all aspects of your security posture and be able to look at all of those signals and pull that together and say, hey, it's looking like someone's trying to breach your system. Here's what you need to know about this. Um, once again, uh, Alex, this is that augmentation of a human's ability that I think is a very valuable, a potentially very valuable tool where the human ultimately has to make the choice of how to approach uh, the issue, but to be able to have something that can take all of that data and sort of uh, put it down into something that makes sense and look at uh, potential trends for that data, I think is uh, a really cool idea. And I like, Christina, that Microsoft does seem to be going, we have uh, this this partnership in place and we have we have the technology. And then they're going, where all can we stick it? <laughs> it's kind of spaghetti project, but it seems to be working in a very positive way so far. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. I mean, and, and definitely does seem to be like, I think that that is um, uh, like the, the brand that we're, we're going for for a lot of things is definitely um, uh, Copilot. Uh, and and you know, I work at GitHub. Um, we, we were the ones who that, that was, you know, how that was chosen. But the Microsoft has started to use it. Microsoft 365 Copilot and, and Security Copilot and, and uh, Dynamics Copilot. And um, so... X Copilot, which is which is great, and it follows the Microsoft tradition of taking a common word uh, like Word and turning it into you know um, a product name. So I, I do I do like that, um, but no, and I, and I but I think that this is the sort of area where when you have something that could be really complicated to explain things like security topics or to synthesize a lot of different information, I think this could be a really good use of AI. The one thing I would say is that I, as with anything else, 
you know, don't become just reliant on this particular thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like I would never say to anybody, make this be the only thing you rely on for, for your security stuff. But I do feel like this could be a good way of helping synthesize a lot of information and point things out that people might otherwise miss. Yeah, I think the branding points is very good because Microsoft has taken common words and turned them into brand names. It's also taken people's names and used them um, uh, quite extensively as well. For example, the last CEO of Microsoft, big friends fan, Chandler Bing, Bing (laughs) Search. Well-known fact. And by the way, I'm kidding, just to be clear. Um, (laughs) I I think the branding point is actually good here because if you go back in time to Microsoft consumer products, remember SkyDrive? Yeah. Before it was OneDrive because of a copyright issue? Before it was LiveDrive. Oh, LiveDrive didn't last. That was terrible. It was, it was SkyDrive, um, LiveDrive, OneDrive. Yeah. Yeah. And then everyone forgot because OneDrive was bleh. But I thought the Cortana name was super hype because it was a cool use of IP from the gaming world and bringing it into a consumer productivity yeah. perspective. However, Copilot, to the point about it being AI helping you as your buddy, mm-hmm. actually, which is what Cortana was doing, but no one knew that um, in the video game franchise world. I think Copilot's freaking brilliant. I think it's really good. And this particular example, I think, is how AI is going to show up everywhere relatively quickly. And I think it's 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 super cool. I obviously am not a cybersecurity professional. I don't have any perspective on using this. But in terms of where I think we're going to see this stuff show up here, it's a great example of it and may make us all more secure because God knows we could use it. I am going to ask. Oh, no, please, Abrar. And then I have a question for all of you. I was going to say, all I want is for Outlook to be more usable. And so can we add, can I just search my email and find it? Like, that's all I want. <laughs> For that's, real, right? That's my only suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Outlook um, bad for you too. Yeah. Uh, So the question that I have for everyone and uh, prepare yourselves, everybody, but I'll start with a brar. Um, What co-pilot do you wish you had right now? So in in a world where you get to have someone make you a tech co-pilot, where, and it it can be for anything, where do you wish you had this AI co-pilot helping you out um, day to day? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, Day to day. Well, I'll, I'll give a, um, well, that's kind of boring. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I was going to say for like work, like if it was for work, I would love to just like, like, I would love to brainstorm story ideas Ooh, with, yeah. like, wouldn't that be fun? Just to, to kind of like, have like a, and just like angles. Yeah. A little rubber ducky. What is that? I, that's not the word. There's the developer thing, a sounding board. That's a thing, right. I think the term I'm looking for. Yeah. Right. Just, hey, this is an idea that I have. And then it's like, oh, that's a great idea. But have you thought about this? And it just sort of tweaks yeah, the idea right. a little bit. Yeah. That's exactly. a good co-pilot. That would be helpful. Story yeah. co-pilot. <laughs> Christina, what's your co-pilot? Okay. So, I mean, I do actually use GitHub Copilot all the time. Um, that is a plug, but it's also, it's really good. Um, and I do use that with work a lot. And it's, and, and we don't advertise that it works for pros, but it actually does work pretty well for pros. Um, although I mostly use it for creating demos. Um, I, I would love a cleaning Copilot. Oh, so is it like, oh no, I just got this. Uh, I just, I just, uh, I, I squeezed a turnip and the juice landed on my pants 
And I well, need to know be, how to get that, to but, 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 more, but it would more be like, okay, I'm going to see the state of what rooms are right now. And I'm going to help you prioritize oh. like an actual plan to oh get the God. most out of, out, out, out of doing like your cleaning and like your laundry and other stuff. Like, honestly, like yes. I need like a, a clean, I need like a, like a, you know, a Marie Kondo, like sort of like co-pilot. Oh my God. Yes. An organizational uh, cleaning space. Oh my God. Yes. Let's get on that for sure. And Alex, what's your co-pilot? I'm just blown away by how good the first two are because I would absolutely <laughs> use both of them. Um, for me, though, the thing that I've I've really long wanted and I'm hoping is going to be now possible is an OS level buddy. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want to be writing and then look at 18 tabs that I pulled up in my extra extra Chrome window to read later and just be like, OS, can you just put those away into a file for me? I'm going to ask them for them back a little bit later on, but they're killing my RAM. And it would go, sure, Alex. And here's why I think this is not going to be possible because chat GPT can ingest uh, natural language Mm -hmm. and it can and do stuff and it can make code. (laughs) So why can't it take my words and then use Zapier or whatever and plug into applications, right? And then just write code or send little magic bits through the tubes and then do stuff for me. And then it's smart enough that it should work most of the time because my stuff that I need isn't complex. It's mostly just very basic stuff, but I'm very busy and I'm in a hurry. So that's what I want. But uh, if I can't have that, I will take cleaning bot or story bot to be clear, because those would be awesome. (laughs) Those are both. No, I, no, I love that Alex. And honestly, like you could, like you could also like plug that into like obsidian or another one of those like second brain apps and be like, okay, put all this stuff here and but, but bring up that document that I was looking at last week that was talking about this. Yeah. I love yeah. that. It'd be, and it could do it. You're exactly right. The, the, the technology is there. We just need to be able to have like maybe a localized trained models, of like just train it on everything that's on my computer. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, like recently, and I, this works sometimes, but it didn't work this time. I looked at my phone and I hit the little uh, power button to get Siri to pull up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Siri, please play X by artist Y on Spotify. And it went, working on it, working on it, working on it, and failed. And I'm like, Lord above, I remember when you bought Siri like 15 years ago, and it still can't play a song. So all that technology is trash. Just throw it away. Yep. And then just use GPT's ability to ingest and kick out text and have that double as code and then do stuff. Why not? Yeah. Why doesn't that work now? And also be able to play our 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 our, um, our Taylor Tunes uh, playlist on Apple Music, which is <laughs> my Apple Music playlist of every single Taylor Swift like song and single from everything. So yeah, can I, can I just say uh, uh, to the Swifties here, I love it when I pull up Spotify now and I'm playing the new album, and it says at the bottom copyright, not uh, Republic, not RCA, yeah. not Capitol Records. It says copyright Taylor Swift, our queen. Our she does it. Queen. I am so happy for all of Earned you. It. And I'm so happy for these ideas. Um, my my bot would be basically the wire cutter, but as an AI chat bot. So anytime I have a problem and I'm thinking about buying something, I ask it and it's like, here is the one that you should probably get because it's good for your budget, but is also good enough to do this and also has these two extra... Like, it will take what the wire cutter knows, but also all the thousands of other sites out there and use all of that together to recommend me the best thing for me specifically. Oh, right. yeah. You know, what it would say is the best thing for your needs is X, but I checked your Citibank account and you can have Y. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> this would be, you wish you could have this. <laughs> right. Exactly, I will pay later. I'm just going to shame you a lot and be like, if you considered increasing your income to afford better shoes? <laughs> 
it, it would literally go, what are those? Um, I thank you for those of you who got that. Um, I oh, do, fine. I do wish that, uh, I could increase or decrease the like personality of my AI in the same way that I can with carrot weather. So, uh, for those of you who have not used the carrot weather app, it's this, uh, weather app for the, uh, for iPhone and other devices. And you can kind of, it has these little responses that it gives and you can make it more or less snarky. And I do like when it sort of says mean things. Okay, this is getting weird, but I like what it says mean things to me. Um, and I kind of wish that I could get my AI bot to have a little bit more of a personality as well. So then ever, in that case, it would say, don't buy those shoes. You don't need them. You ever accidentally tell more about your personality than you meant to in the middle yep. of the podcast? Yeah, yeah like the, just then. I wish I had an AI bot that was like, whoa, slow down, Micah. What you're about to say is not for <laughs> anyone to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you try to send a tweet with profanity and Twitter's like, People don't like these tweets that use these words. Yeah. Please don't say this. It's just going to embarrass everyone, but especially you. Can I just say, though, that all of this that we're talking about, I don't see why it isn't possible in the next five years. Christina would need cameras in her rooms to have um, ingest uh, images and stuff. But the story bot would just want to read your past covers and say, well, you also talked about this, you know, six months ago. Does that have any pertinence? Um, Right. And uh, I'll just call Micah and tell him no. That would be good enough. So. <laughs> I was going to say mine would be possible with, uh, I think the only thing that it need to have is just more, a more recent database than September, 2021. So if it had m- a more recent database than September, 2021, I've pretty much already got mine other than it doesn't have access to my banking information, but I honestly feel okay with that. So I would, right. I wouldn't want, I would want it to do it uh, based on everything, but financial means. Cause I want to keep that to myself. So I think mine's possible in its current state. Um, Alex, is yours possible? Um, so yeah, I don't know why it isn't. There, because if it, it is, was, yeah. people would build it. I think, right? No, I mean, I think the idea is, I think you probably have to do it at the OS level, right? Mm-hmm. But I definitely do. I definitely think there's. I mean, I, p- presumably somebody could build like a, a an application that had full access to everything to do it. But I think I think you could. But I think it would be one of those things like because basically we're just talking about like on the Mac, for instance, we would just be kind of talking about like automator voice, right? Like mm-hmm. like something that they, they could, you know, use natural language to pull up, you know, the sorts of search things or or to, you know, um, uh, run macros, you know, that, that you're trying to accomplish. It definitely what, seems what? like it should be possible. Yeah, but just add a little hooks in every app yeah, right, for the thing to, to talk and pull and put things back that's into. Saying, which Apple script basically already has. Uh, at least on a okay. Mac. That's what I'm saying. So basically it would just be kind of a way of like, you know, making like Apple script, you know, on the fly, yeah, on vi- the fly with, with your voice. And that's what I mean the, the when first- I'm talking about those large language models is it's not just ingest. It's, well, I don't want to talk about what that outgest. We'll go with that. It's egress. Yeah, thank egress. you. Egress. It is, it is taking the translation of what you're saying in and then it's also able to then go from that and also tell the other thing. It talks in their languages, too. That's what I think right. makes the, uh, this so incredible and why what you're talking about seems entirely possible. Because as long as it has the context of this is how I have to talk to the machine, luckily, um, with oh, with Mac OS, we do have a lot of those hooks already built in. It's just no one is able to uh, write every single kind of program they need 
to do to use the system. But if the if the uh, the AI could do that on the fly, then that would work. Yeah. Friend of the show, Harry McCracken, the technologizer, the technologizer. wrote, uh, <laughs> wrote on technologizer.com about the end of computer magazines in America because Maximum PC and Mac Life are both uh, shipping their last print edition, moving to uh, download, moving to digital. And uh, he says, uh, I'm not. I'm not writing this article because the dead tree versions of maximum PC and Mac life are no more. I'm writing it because they were the last two extant us computer magazines that had managed to cling to life until now the computer, he says uh, with their abandonment of print, the computer magazine era has officially ended. And that just kind of makes me kind of sad computer shopper. you know, I didn't, I didn't realize they were still around. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, I I'm not reading them, but they were still <laughs> right. I thought, whoa, there, I, I was the interest in the story. I was like, wow, they, they were actually still printing. I had, I had no idea that was, yeah. I just, the only people that yeah. care are, is our age group. No, totally. Oh, yeah. no question. This is and purely a nostalgia story that I put in there because it yeah. reminds me of being a kid and looking at that fat, like honking, you know, issue yeah. of computer shopper. Computer, that was just yeah. like hundreds yeah. of pages of storefronts with different, you know, yeah. like specced, you know, machines. And oh, yes, it was the whole thing. I worked at the ancient history years ago two decades ago i worked at copperfield's books in sebastopol uh and petaluma oh i would drive between those two stores in the corner at the time i was in charge of magazines and with magazine with all magazines at the time that was the early 2000s and magazines were still kicking so you'd always over order because they would make up and at the end of the week you have extras and you have to prove to the publisher that you did not sell those. And I would sit in the back and strip those, especially those Mm. computer magazines. I would sit in the back of Copperfields and read the stripped magazine cover to cover all of, and I felt like, wait, I'm reading a computer. Why don't I just use the internet? (laughs) Anyway, it's, a non sequitur, but uh, I, I started my computer magazine reading at uh, Copperfields, very close to you. It was yeah. all your fault, Dan. Why did I just read it on the internet? You know, <laughs> if you worked in a bookstore or a or close, I mean, bookstores. I'm I'm sure people are are listening who've worked in bookstores, and there's, I mean, it's it's a travesty. But stripping books was pretty common. You know, you'd have way too many mass markets of some sci fi book you totally wanted to read, so. Gotta strip that cover. Hmm. This reminds me of a story too. This magazine, the, the death of the mag, the computer magazine, uh, reminds me of a story that I've maybe even told on Twitter before. Of like when I was um, in the nineties. I was in college, right? When the internet was hitting, you know, and I was studying journalism and I had these arguments with journalism instructors. I was like, this, this internet thing, like, this is the future. Like it's, and they were like, no, they tried this experiment down in Florida, you know, with like hypercard and, and, and the thing is, look, people just don't want to read on screens. 
And I was like, <laughs> it's instantaneous and it's yeah. so much cheaper. Like you don't have any, you know, trucks going into delivering papers and paper, you know, carriers and, and all of that. And, and they're like, you know, it's just not going to happen. You think of it, you just don't have the serendipity of flipping through things and be able to see. And, and they said, you know, you should just go into, you should get a job in magazines. I'm like, no, I want to work <laughs> on the internet. Like this is where the future this is. And they're like, just get it, take the magazine class. And get a job in in magazines because you have a future there. So now, to be great, to be fair, they're right. Like if I would have studied magazines, I could have had a job all the way up until twenty twenty three or something. You know, uh, maybe actually probably not. Maybe up until twenty ten or something. Yeah, I'd say yeah. But, um, a few years off that for sure. I'm I'm glad I I'm I'm glad I I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I sort of walked out and was like, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. My you know teenage mind. I don't know what the heck they're talking about. They can't teach me anything. When in fact they could ninety percent of what they were saying was really excellent. They just had this ten percent were wrong. It just happened to be like a really important ten percent at that moment yeah 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 no Uh, kidding no kidding yeah well i uh yes computer shopper of course was a was a magazine that i've like i have fond memories of just because of the sheer like i mean it was just gigantic but my history with computer magazines goes back into the 80s when i had a commerce 64 and it was you know all the all the magazines that you could get then like compute where you get it and it would have like you know, it would have some sort of machine language code that you could enter in manually into your computer and you'd end up with a game on the other side or you wouldn't. And then you'd have to go through line by line and uh, and troubleshoot it and everything. And so, yeah, I've got a fondness in my heart for the computer magazine. So when I saw this article, I was like, oh, OK, I need to take a couple of minutes to to mourn the loss of the you computer. Had, magazine. Had one warm tear roll down your cheek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll say that one did, but one didn't. But it should have. <laughs> if I was more of a computer nerd, a, a tear would have would have uh, rolled down my cheek. <laughs> but anyways, thanks to Harry McCracken for writing a really great article, as he does right all the time. So this is a UK thing, Nate. Uh, we have in the States. We have an alert system. There's presidential alerts. There's severe weather alerts. Uh, there, There's alerts for missing kids. They're called Amber Alerts. But you don't have something like that in the UK? We don't have presidential alerts because uh, we don't have a president. Obviously. We don't have extreme Do you have alerts. King Charles alerts? The weather's always Hello. Terrible. Hello, mates. Uh, this is the king. No. Uh, I've I, <laughs> exactly received pronunciation. I have met him and he doesn't sound anything. You have met him? Other. Really? Yeah. How does he smell? But, uh, fantastic. I ask yeah, you this. One of the best smelling monarchs. In yes, the world. exactly. I ask you this because I read uh, Spare, which is uh, Prince Harry's book about, you know, not being the heir, but being the spare. And it's uh, interesting. I just want to, you know, what's it like to be a prince? But one of the things he says early on is, my father always wears uh, Eau de Sauvage. <laughs> Cologne. <laughs> By uh he doesn't have a custom scent. You would think it'd be there'd be a King Charles scent, but no. And so I thought, well, I want to smell like a king. So I went out and I bought some eau de sauvage. <laughs> I want to smell like a king. <laughs> it's such a funny thing to think to yourself before you go buy a perfume. Well, the funny that's thing is I told my mom this and she said, Oh, that's funny because I found out what Queen Elizabeth used to wear and I bought that perfume. So maybe it's a Well, let me tell you. The um the the one the thing that struck me was um in person it wasn't the queen's uh, our late queen's um uh 
uh, perfume, it was she had the best skin I have seen <laughs> any human being ever. You're noticing that, huh? So, what did yeah. you get knighted? What happened there, Nate? How did you? Uh, how did that happen? It was for the. It was for the the, the jubilee uh, a little while ago, and um, it was at the palace, and we. That's were cool. Invited. What do you mean yeah, we it was, were? It was really cool. What are you a peer of the realm? What did you? How did you? Uh, the royal darling. we. So darling, yeah, <laughs> the royal we. No, although I was, I did actually go to it with Mike Butcher at TechCrunch. Um, he was there. As, he was there as well. Um, and it was. Uh, I think it was for the Diamond Jubilee. Yeah, that's very cool. It? I'm so jealous. Yeah, yeah. They had a room. No one was allowed their phone, but they had a room that they called the Tweet Suite. Um, <laughs> oh, I see. You were social. Place. That's what I media. call my apartment. Tweet suite. Well, we didn't. No one. I didn't. I didn't see anyone in it. That's the thing. It was more like you know, if you were there and you if, wanted to use your phone, it's right next to the smoking room. Yeah, if you're going to smoke, go there. Both things that are going to destroy you inside and out. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, yeah. Go to the tweet suite. Um, it was. It was. It was funny. They did um, say this, that uh, the, to the queen, everything smells like fresh paint because everything's oh. been freshly painted before she arrives. Can believe that. that's a little insight. Yeah. I just thought I'd share that. So you didn't have <laughs> presidential alerts. You have, and nor did you have kingly alerts or queenly alerts. Did you have no, any kind had, of alert national alert system? No. Well, we have we have BBC News, which which you oh, know, yeah, has right. a procedure for announcing the death right. of a monarch, um, which failed. By the way, they uh, they tweeted it. The family tweeted it before the Beeb got to put the black thing up and play God Save the Queen and everything. There's a there is a there's a protocol for, for for that broadcast, but in terms of us out here in the the general world, no, we don't really have a system. The the closest that we've ever had to anything that that you guys are familiar with was actually during COVID, where everyone got an SMS that basically said, you know, uh, hello, good morning. Uh, there's a deadly virus, and uh, we have no uh, please stay indoors. <laughs> Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> It wasn't quite as it wasn't quite as it wasn't quite as formal as that, um, but 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 we did all get one, and that was news. It's like wow, the government's texting everyone in the country to say, you know, uh, please stay indoors, and um, and we'll give you, we'll keep letting you know via this text, and that's fine. This was something wholly different. This is this is the, the same system that's built into smartphones uh, that you have. We have you know out in Asia. As well, to warn of anything from, as you say, you know, uh, major uh, threats to human life, imminent danger, uh, missiles. You know, there was the, the I was going to say the great case. It was not. I'm sure it was a horrific case. But the 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 alert over uh, Hawaii, I think, wasn't it? Recently, yes. Recently, where they got told that they were going to be bombed. Yeah. Um, so, it's by the way, that was in error. Yeah. Yeah. And I do remember seeing a screenshot of someone saying that the the alert that it was an error was 38 minutes after the original uh, the original alert. I don't know if yeah, it's true. You know, I did. I've talked to people in Hawaii who saw the original alert, were freaked out. Um, uh, this was in 2018. It was a it was said a, a ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Imagine getting that on your phone. Well, we did today, but not with the same text. Fortunately, it it said uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was. If I, have I still got it up here? I don't think I have. It, but it basically. Oh, I can said, play it. This is the government. Wait a minute! I can play it. You were doing your podcast. But, but before you, before you, before you play that clip, the thing is, we we knew this was coming. So everyone in the country for the last like several weeks has been told 
We are going to test this national emergency alert system. You have to bear in mind, no one here has ever had this sort of thing and no one knew what it was going to sound like. Um, and everyone was expecting that the alert would go off, but the real the real alert would be two minutes later when everyone's parents call up their son or daughter. <laughs> what like, is what this? What the hell's happened to my phone? <laughs> what's going on? And that's the thing that would get everyone to pay attention. But um, we knew it was coming. And so we timed the podcast today so that it would happen live while we were on. And we didn't, we knew roughly when it was meant to happen, but we didn't know if it was going to happen at that point. Um, and so, yeah, I know the clip that you've got is as it, as it happened. All right, let's play this. This is a text message. Nate's a podcast from yesterday. They're in the middle of a conversation. Content warning. It's shrill. Oh, yeah. Good point. I probably should have said that. And I, I have been trained uh, after many years in broadcasting that it's illegal to play these. But uh, on the other hand, this is a podcast, not a broadcast. So the podcast um, police are going to come for you. Like, yeah. A different dead jurisdiction. Um, let me just say this. What you're about to hear is not an alert. <laughs> this is a simu- it's a, just a, a very good simulation up. of alert. Well, so Nate and you know, who's your who's your yeah, co-host on this? Point. Really. Ian Morris. Ian and Nader uh, are just control of app store talking as one does. Going on to be looking very different in yeah. five years' time, yeah. I reckon. But Mark in the chat says um, their longer term intent. Oh, good make- God! Here we go. Oh, it's happened. Well, oh, only for panic, you, it seems. Panic! Panic! <laughs> I, I, I've got. I got good nothing. God! How the hell do I turn this? <laughs> That's pretty much. No, here we go. It's I've got out. it too. How exciting! <laughs> good God! off god it's really annoying isn't it go away we've had these in the states for some time and it's really it's very it's the same tone by the way right is it really yeah that was i was curious to find out if that was true that's i think that's built into the the phones maybe or something right yeah there must have been a study done that's like that is the that's the most most annoying what's the most annoying sound you can make bad (laughs) bad sound we had people listening live to the episode and they were talking to us they were like oh i'm in a you know in a shopping mall and it you know it happened at exactly the same moment and the entire mall goes off and everyone pulls their phone out and everyone's like what is this what's going on um it was quite yeah it was quite surreal it was quite quite i was in a restaurant we have this in the states for for all sorts of things you know here comes the queen or whatever. And uh, yeah, that classic United States experience. <laughs> Here comes the queen. <laughs> Stand back. Everybody bow your heads. Don't look at her. No eye contact. Uh, we have one in, at, I don't know if it's only California. I think it's nationwide. There's severe weather alerts, but there's also earthquake alerts. And I was in a restaurant. We were in a pizzeria of uh, about a year ago and it went off everybody in the restaurant. And we had never seen this before. They said, what? There's going to be an earthquake. And sure enough, I guess what happens is when it, earthquakes take a while to move through the land. And so it, it, the earthquake had happened somewhere. And that triggered the alert, which then, because 10 seconds later, it's shaken. And it was a very Did surreal Did you finish experience. your pizza? Yes. After that, we all, we all became best friends and shared each other's pizzas. <laughs> It really is a community bonding. Oh, that's great. Bonding. You got a free pizza out of this earthquake. Yes, it's a bonding experience when you have these. Um, a lot of people, I'm surprised at that they don't have this in Britain. But well, we uh, do now. Yeah. And apparently yeah. not everyone got it. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect. Much like the no. uh, Starship uh, launch. It wasn't, it was, a, it was a successful test. But. <laughs> the analysis I think will hit tomorrow 
about you know how successful it was and there were some really interesting discrepancies you know because we were because we were doing the show live you know people were saying oh i haven't had it yet i haven't had it and then someone would say oh i've had it now and they would say well i haven't i haven't had it i'm on the same network and trying to figure out why the person had got it and it just struck me that at, at first i thought i could make a joke that you know it, only the people outside of london uh, weren't receiving it because the government only cares about the people in the city um but realistically it's it's it, it was actually more interesting to see well if this had been an imminent threat to to life in the way that uh, sometimes these sadly um, uh, happen in the midst of, then a several minute discrepancy between everyone getting these alerts, that could make a difference in, in you know, if, if this wasn't a test, if it wasn't a drug. Yeah, I think it's the phone networks that are ultimately um, getting in the way, I would guess, this, the cell, cell yeah. networks, but I don't know. I don't know how yeah. these uh, how these get triggered. We were informed that there was a presidential alert some years ago. Uh, and I, the only reason I could think that you would want to alert every cell phone in the entire United States, which is hundreds of millions, right, is if there were, I don't know, a ballistic missile attack inbound. <clears throat> it seems like this is a bad idea. Because <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Get under the desk? Um, you, you, I don't know. Anyway. The instructions on screen were pretty clear. Um, that it was it was only a test, yeah. but there's a limited amount of text there. So yeah, yeah. Who knows? Hopefully, we'll we can turn these off. I don't know about you, but in this, I'm looking at my iPhone. The, there is a place to turn these off. I Can't, definitely I, have mine turned off. Yeah, because they're yeah. just probably annoying. not great. But and I do now, and that's what's funny. When I tapped and when it went off, you press the settings button. It straight away it takes you to the page where you can just disable it. So I assume now everyone was like. Well, good, good golly, we don't want that happening again. Turn this <laughs> off now, and then it's all gone. So what they've really done is shut themselves in the foot. Uh, yeah. And uh, and everyone's turned it off now. Yeah. You cannot turn off a presidential alert, and God help us if you ever get one of those, because that's not, that can't, that wouldn't be good. Well, I'll be I'll be in the U.S. in, in about six days again. Oh, come so. visit us. What are you doing? Uh, I'm the other side of the country this time. I was over a few weeks ago because we were filming. So we're filming the um, the rest of the series. Are you going to visit uh, President Biden's tweet suite? Is that where you're headed? <laughs> no, uh, although I am closer to him than I am to you. We're, yes. we're going to be in New York uh, City yes. for, for, for this shoot. Mike, for this Michael and, and everybody want to say hi, I'm sure. Michael Bloomberg. Uh, the boss. That was so funny. The uh, UK emergency alert test. Uh, we had Nate Langson on from the UK, Mike Elgin uh, and Paris Martineau. Um, <laughs> wow, uh, a, a pretty amazing story. We'll have more in just a little bit, including uh, a great hacking tool that I got my hands on. We'll do a little hacking when we continue with the 2023 edition of uh, This Week in Tech's Best Ofs. Our show brought to you by HID Global. Wouldn't it be nice to leave the stress of tedious PKI management behind in 2023 and stress less with complete certificate life cycle automation from HID Global's PKI as a service model. You know, Google is moving towards now 90-day SSL certificates. That's going to be a tough thing to do every 90 days. And, and you know, there's nothing more embarrassing than an expired certificate. you got to have automation. 
Well, good news. HID's model of automation does not require any additional hardware or software investment or installs in order to automate the life cycles of your organization's certificates. For Google and Mac systems, HID's connector model of PKI uses open source certificate utilities. You know, that means your organization can use multiple operating systems, which is great for BYOD. You'll also ease your procurement pains. With HID Global, you can get up and running in two weeks. That's so much faster than the competition. And their assistance with deployment always includes incomparable white glove service, expertise, and knowledge. Plus, of course, you're going to receive ownership of your private keys. HID takes care of your PKI so you can spend your holidays and weekends taking care of yourself, your family and the things that matter to you outside of work. Visit hid.link slash twitdemo today. Thank you, HID. We really appreciate the support on This Week in Tech. Brianna Wu, Jeff Jarvis, and Alex Stamos. Boy, that's a powerhouse team. Uh, take a look at some tools people are using for both pen testing and hacking. Uh, I have given myself a gold check. I don't know if you noticed, but in my shot, now I have a gold check. So I am. <laughs> right. Who the hell are we? You, you have no idea. I have a gold check. I'm just I... a guy who walked into a studio. <laughs> you got the golden pineapple. So that's good. That's, that's close. Good. Yeah. Is that a uh, is that a Wi-Fi pineapple? That is a Wi-Fi pineapple. I have a that my my voted sticker in the Stanford Internet Observatory. But now yes. let me ask you about that. Well, uh, we'll take a break, but I want to ask you about Wi-Fi pineapple because I have very mixed feelings about this thing. But, but yeah, you should. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. And there was another device that was looked like a gaming joystick. Yeah, Flipper Zero. Flipper yeah, Zero. Yeah. yeah. Talking about a bunch of stuff I showed to my students. And, All right. And well, we'll talk that. about that and a lot more when we come back. We've got a great panel. What a I. Great panel. And you know, Alex, I'm sorry uh, that you had to be here during uh, what was clearly a superior <laughs> team <laughs> beating an inferior team. But I just say together putting, we'll I'm go down to L.A. On, but I'm doing so sadly. <laughs> where's the hat? Oh, 1951 champions. Yeah, I know. That's it, good. That is not. That's really good. <laughs> you, 1951 champions. We still love you. That's That's awesome. I'm glad you brought that hat. That's an awesome hat. Yep. Wow. I didn't realize the Kings have been around since 1951. Yeah, it's Kansas City. So they moved oh, back in the 80s. Were they Kings or what were they? Uh, they're the Kansas City Royals. Oh. And then they renamed to the Kings. And then they were the, the Kings. baseball, yeah. Kansas City Royals, which confused. Yeah, I wonder if it was the same ownership or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were the Royals. Or, yeah, I don't know if they're called the Royals, but I think there was a relationship okay. with the, the baseball team. So. Okay. Nice. So the why? tell me what the Wi-Fi pineapple is, Alex. Uh, Wi-Fi Pineapple is a hardware device you can buy that uh, runs its own operating system. So it's a little box with a bunch of antennas popping out of it. Uh, you can hook up to your computer, and you, it has this nice little web interface and lets you do lots of really interesting and mostly illegal stuff with Wi-Fi. Uh, so, uh, and I know the guy who sells it. <laughs> yeah, is, is Hack5 been yeah, uh, yeah, a good friend? Ha yeah, he's a good friend. Hack5. I used to work with uh, Hack5. Yeah. Um, uh, and I have, mis I have mixed feelings about this. They they say it's for pen testing. And, and it is used for that, and I have used it for that. I, I use it mostly for educational purposes, right? So when I teach Wi-Fi in my fall classes about cybersecurity, yeah. my spring classes about trust and safety, but in the fall I, I teach a cyber class, and I do a demo uh, where I intercept people's connections and pull up. <laughs> One of the interesting things you can do with it is, you know, so you're... You're the fun professor. <laughs> uh, yes, my, my ratings, uh, my... 
my reviews are really good until I get fired, right? Like that's the, uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's the, uh, so one of the cool things it does is, you know, something people don't really understand is that when you add a device to a Wi-Fi network um, and it remembers it, it will beacon for that. It will look for the beacon in the future. So your computer is effectively constantly saying, hey, anybody here Starbucks? Hey, anybody here is name of my home network and such. So like one of the fun demos I do is while I'm giving the Wi-Fi lecture, I'm sniffing in the background. Of course, all of the students, there's about 200 students in that class. They all have laptops open. 90% of them are probably not paying attention. Something, again, I can figure out with the Wi-Fi pineapple. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I see you browsing uh, your, uh, your, your, your uh, yeah. blue sky page. How is TikTok today? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and uh, when they, uh, you know, at the end of I show, you know, whose network is this, whose network is this? And you have people raising their hand of like, that's my parents' network. That's the hotel I just went to and such. So it does all kinds of interesting stuff. Like one of the things you use it for is to pretend to be wireless network. So it has a radio that you can push perhaps a little bit beyond what the FCC says is a uh, acceptable level of power output uh, in the unregulated spectrum. And so what you can do is uh, if you're in a, a public network, you can have it broadcast at a higher uh, decibel level and take over and other and people will associate to it and then it will route all that traffic over uh you can have it go over like a, a gsm card or you know lte or over a you know a hard wire if you have it um and then you can sniff all of that traffic you watch it as it goes out stuff. to the internet yeah. they still think they're on the internet but they're going through right. you all stuff you can do with like a properly configured linux laptop and such right. but like this just makes it all easy and because it has its own cpu you have your computer attached you tell it what to do and then you can walk away and you can leave it there yeah. so that's often I, we have used it for penetration tests you um, a good place for it especially if you have a battery pack attached to it uh, is the restrooms in the lobby, right? So if you can use a restroom in a lobby of a building uh, and they have a drop ceiling, you can go put it in the drop ceiling and let it oh, uh, take over Wi-Fi. So this is my mixed feelings about this. And you know, I've never talked to Darren about it, but uh, uh, it's 120 bucks. Yes. A script kitty could use this. And that's my problem is if you're going to do it with a configured Linux laptop, you know what you're doing. Not necessarily, but yes, I, it, it is one of these interesting tools where effectively almost anything you do with it's illegal unless you're doing it in a Faraday cage, right? So right. Like doing most of the stuff. <laughs> but it's not, legal to sell it, even though anything you yes. could do with it would be illegal. Yes. Isn't that funny? Freedom, man. Freedom. So so Shira Ovid at the Washington Post had a piece today saying five things you shouldn't worry about. Number one was using Wi-Fi in a public space. Okay. That's changed Light a little bit. I mean, it, since the days of Fire Sheep where you were sending unencrypted traffic and somebody could impersonate you. But this thing, as 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 Alex just explained, but let me say it. So, Jeff, you were just at a hotel somewhere and using their Wi-Fi. You still have that in your list of Wi-Fis that you've accessed. Mm -hmm. The pineapple can impersonate it and can be stronger than the coffee shop Wi-Fi. So your laptop, without any, you know, talking to you, will say, oh, hey, no we're boy, back no at the hotel. Me. Yeah, let's check in. Uh, it's a better signal. I mean, things are better now in that HTTPS has become pretty much ubiquitous. Yeah, thanks right? to Google, HTTPS everywhere. Thanks to you know HTTPS anywhere. like plugin makers. Um, thanks to Let's Encrypt, the EFFs project to give which makes it easier to be SSL. Honestly, thanks to Ed Snowden. I mean, we don't want to do a whole Snowden thing. I have mixed feelings here, but like you know, there was a massive move to encrypt, and I I saw a bunch of that. I was a CISO at Yahoo. Yahoo would not have done all the work necessary, which was very expensive and very difficult to encrypt all of Yahoo sites to HTTPS all the time if it wasn't for the Snowden disclosure. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it, it turned out it was very difficult at, at, for 
for anybody who wasn't Google and therefore in a fully contained ecosystem, because there's a huge ecosystem problem. Like every bit of JavaScript you pulled in, every analytics platform you used, right? All that stuff had to go to HTTPS. And it was all distributed on a bunch of servers. You may not even have owned all the servers. Right, right. And so it took years to get there. And it basically happened because of the Snowden disclosures, because it turned out that- I thought it was Firesheep. Firesheep seemed like the the tipping point when when any idiot could go into a coffee shop and steal your Facebook Which you could have done for a long, time before that using a variety of tools oh, yeah. tools of like you had to be running linux you had to yeah. tweak the kernel a little well, bit see that's my point with the yeah. pineapple as soon as it gets easy yeah so and then there's this <laughs> flipper zero which is something more uh recent the multi-tool yeah. device for geeks yes it's fun do you own it I sounds like you might own one us. brianna yeah. <laughs> well i i don't own one but i've certainly looked at the coverage of this and you know before my comments i really want to stress that you know, we have criminalized white hat hacking, like in the That's United true. States. But it always has Often, been. My it, friend uh, Russell Schwartz was working uh, at uh, Intel, did a little uh, freelance pen testing at Intel and got thrown in jail for it. A hundred percent. You remember when the AT&T thing happened a few years ago with the iPhone, right? You had people, uh, basically, they tried to cover up by uh, basically uh, uh, getting people charged. They right. done uh, basically uh, pen testing uh, and trying to report vulnerabilities. We've seen that level levied politically. So just my blanket comment here is, look, as a policy, I'm 100 percent white hat hacking. I think we need ways to indemnify people that are out there doing what I consider that are public service that's in the interest of national security. That said, you know, if you look at the Pineapple Zero and some of the things you can do with it, uh, you know, you have people with no training whatsoever that can go unlock cars. They can change the, uh, you know, the price of gas at a gas station, right? Oh, wait a minute. I want to know more about that. That's cool. This was reported by something I saw. Uh, but the bottom line with this is like an individual gas station. They don't have a pen testing department, yeah. right? Yeah. They don't. They're, they're so what the deal really... is, you buy a tank of gas and then tell them, hey, by the way, I've right, just uh, found right. a vulnerability. Oh, 100%. In your, in your They'll give it to you free. <laughs> no, but it, it's, it's I, I get that this is a tool that can be used for good things, but I also think it is made in a way that like introduces these vulnerabilities to people. I have no real way to act on it. So the right? Flipper Zero was, I think it was a right. Kickstarter. It was somehow right. that, funded. That's the one I'm thinking of, correct. Yeah, and, it, and it's a, a really... Um, kind of an iot it's kind of designed for the not for wi-fi but for the you know the sub one gigahertz yeah it's uh, it's effectively so it's not it doesn't do wi-fi uh like you said it's sub one gigahertz there's a ton of spectrum used for iot systems zigbee um laura is one so there's a there's a bunch of uh standards that people use for their gardening systems and their home alarm systems or opening the parking garage parking garage or or the or a garage door, right? Or a garage door, door. Yeah, so or your doorbell. Um, yeah. RFID on your cards. This is effectively a super cheap version of the USRP, right? So, like, we've had software-defined radio for a while. They've often been very expensive. What these folks did is they built a software-defined radio platform. They limited its uh, frequency range to, to make it cheaper um, and then put, like, a cool little GUI on it and created a community. So there's this community of people that you can download programs onto that a little SD card and, and pop it in. So I use the Flipper Zero. I demonstrate to my Stanford students. I copy one of their uh, badges. 
Yeah, so you can go around the <laughs> campus as them. Yeah, right. Yeah. So professor, at it right. again. Like, Honestly, this more points up the, the the flaw in the uh, in the badges than it does yeah. anything else. Well, right? actually, can I say something about that really quickly? When I ran for Congress, one of the things I, I really got a crash course in is the way that large data and things like this, um, I always say misused by police departments, but there's certainly asymmetric defense that can be done by police departments, right? Because they do have the power to go and like Google uh, your entire like history of your Android phone and find out everywhere you've been where the defense, um, your defense that may be prohibitively, uh, you know, expensive. So it's really easy to see something like this, like someone stealing your badge and then like making it look like you're part of a crime, right? Then how do you like go and prove your innocence there? I mean, it's, it's very easy to imagine scenarios and there's not a clear policy direction here forward because we don't want to criminalize like, you know, pen testing and looking for vulnerabilities. At the same time, this is something that has a tremendous, um, capability for misuse and i i truly don't know where to go from here uh, it's only 169 bucks i'm ordering one right now because i think we could have oh, some boy. some fun oh, boy. some fun with it oh, boy. <laughs> um should these be illegal no no <laughs> okay. no but I, Again, it's not something. I mean, the flipper is interesting because it doesn't have a humongous amount of range. Um, you have to be. It's kind of you have to be proximate. You have to be reasonably proximate. Yeah. Um, but it it still certainly could be used uh, to to steal cars and such. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Well, Hyundai's particularly. Those are really easy to steal. I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I drove through the city, so you know, I, I cut off a couple of catalytic converters because it's what you do. Yeah, you just uh, pick pick them up, take them with you. You never know when you might need an extra. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's an interesting uh, time we live in. Um, fortunately, the good news is most people are honest. Yes. It's only that small. I don't. I don't know. One tenth of one percent that have the larceny in their hearts. Ruin it for everybody. And they ruin it for everybody. <laughs> so only sell to the good people. Just like you only let the good people on the blue sky. Exactly. Or you don't need trust and safety. Yeah. It is 10 years since Edward Snowden and his revelations changed our world. Snowden says, you know, thanks to me, end-to-end end, end encryption is everywhere. We now under, understand uh, what... Uh, governments are are learning about us and we and we are more aware of privacy um i also think it's a little weird that he is now a russian citizen um he's been living in moscow for the past 10 years but that's mostly because the u.s wouldn't let him live anywhere else he was in hong kong they chased him out of hong kong he had planned to go to ecuador until he was told you can't go there uh, so now he's a Russian citizen. The good news is <clears throat> you can't be extradited if you're a Russian citizen. Uh, I am so up in the air on this one. Uh, I just, I it, don't. It, yeah, I think it's the same. Like on one hand, you're like, okay, he brought a lot of you know, horrible things that were going on to light. And he did, you know, he did you know, for the public to understand privacy and encryption is a huge deal. But at the same time, he jeopardized national security. Keith That's Alexander, just, who was NSA director. Well, he also trusted Glenn Greenwald, which is yeah, <laughs> another mistake. Like just the, right. That, that right there is the biggest mistake yeah. he made. It wasn't like the, it was like, oh, I'm going to trust the biggest idiot in, in journalism. 
<laughs> you know, I, I think I think what uh, the way Snowden did it, you know, I think his intentions were good, you know, and and you know, trying to pick somebody to work with and make sure everything stayed encrypted and you know review everything and and not just like WikiLeaks just publish the whole thing. Yeah, he he tried to do no, it. No, he went to a bunch of journalists. Yeah. He let them right. vet the information. Right. Um, and, and do it in a res- try to do it in a responsible way. He said like, I went to, to Robbie's point, Glenn Greenwald. Right. Yeah. Well, but wrong you know, person, at the time choice. we might not have known, you know, that yeah. Glenn was what he was to become. But uh honestly, he says Snowden says, I tried whistleblowing. They it didn't work. They wouldn't listen to me. I had to do this. Uh, and it's certainly we've learned a lot from him about, you know, NSL scooping up everyone's records um, in uh, in 2015. Congress wrote the USA Freedom Act, which made that illegal, uh, rightly so. So there there have been some shifts and benefits. This is terrible, but I, f- I feel like he should have done what reality winner did, uh, what Chelsea did, Chelsea Manning. He should have done what he did and then stood up and 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 taken the charges. But in response, yeah. you know, said, I'm responsible. Look, I think this is important. I will go to court. I will I will be tried. And if you put me in jail, you put me in jail. Yeah. Going, Going to, to Russia, Russia taints it, it is, a little bit. It, yeah, it does. It taints it a lot because, you know, he, he can't say any, you know, how do, how do you feel about the Ukraine war, Edward Snowden? You're never going to hear about that because he, he says, I'm, he says, according uh, to the uh, to NPR, I'm constantly criticizing the Russian government's policy, the Russian government's human rights record, even the Russian president by name. I think We're he's not doing not. it really loudly. I yeah, think he's, like he's criticizing, yeah, at night, super yeah. quietly. Like right he whispers it, blanket over his head. Right, he's like, "The president's terrible." Okay, now I'm going to bed. Like, what, how does that? Like, <laughs> and, and also, you live in Russia, so I, you know, if you're not being critical of of Putin because you live in Russia and you don't want to fall out of a window, which yeah. seems to be a thing that happens seems a, happen a lot, lot in Russia. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, I understand, but it also need better railings there. I, I don't know. They need better <laughs> railings, better windows. I don't know what the, the situation is with Russia and windows, but, but the people just falling out of them. And they it always seem to be people who uh, Putin are angry with. So maybe they're just so sad because Putin's not happy with them. They're just leaning on the window, smoking a cigarette. Oh, oh, <laughs> who who put plutonium in my tea? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what? That's crazy. How uh, did people? How did I get poisoned just because I was critical of the president? I actually so, yeah, uh, like yeah. how uh, Quippy Quint in our Discord chat put it. He did the right thing in the wrong way. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. how I feel. Yeah, All I right. think a lot of people feel that way. He was trying to do yeah. a good thing, but he just did a good thing bad. He is still yeah. charged. If he were to come back, he would. Uh, face charges he's got a family and children now in russia um, well he's not coming back then he's not coming yeah. back he's got kids he's not coming back I mean, so i'm kids. grateful to him what for what he kid? did i really am i yeah. think it was important uh, i um yeah i just uh yeah i don't know i think you if you're going to do something so honorable so important uh it's hard but you got to stand up and 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 take the face the don't do the crime if you can't do the time. In the words, kind of like the, yeah. have the Even courage, the the courage for, your convictions. Like to, yeah. if you're gonna, if exactly. you're gonna do that, and you're gonna go out there and you're gonna do something you know is iffy for a good reason, then like, okay, I believe in it so much, I will take the heat for whatever I have done in the interest of getting this information yeah. out there. And then the and trial, just even in in discovery for the trial, they would have been able to, you know, 
uncover more things that had been going on. Right? There's a lot of, you know, and even if he gets convicted, you know, there's going to be, there will always be people who are like, oh, well, what he did is just wrong, top to bottom. And you're like, all right. But I think a majority of, of, of people understand what he did and, and what that means for us, privacy and encryption wise. Um, is it was a benefit, and I think you know at some point a president would be like, you know what, just go home and wherever you're from. That, your I don't life. know where, where Edward Snowden, Chelsea from. Manning, right? Uh, yeah. Obama commuted mm-hmm. uh, her yeah, sentence, right? You're like you did a you did a you did a bad you did thing, a bad thing for a good for reason. a good reason, exactly. Yeah, it benefits yeah. others, yeah. so and the country in general. Yeah. I feel I feel honor bound to defend to defend train wrecks who is one of the people <laughs> behind kick. I mean, this is someone who if you listen to him talk about the business model for for kick, he talks about the lifetime user value of buying, bringing someone over there and getting them on the what they call the gamba train. Can't call it gambling. Got to be Gen mm-hmm, yeah. Z. Call of it course, the gamba. You know, and this is something. That Twitch Great. Is so really he's going to addict a whole new generation. I'm saying to it's gambling. A model. And that's, I'm saying it's a rough. You got to find a sucker somewhere if it's not the stock market. Well, I it's do gamblers. Like, I don't I do get, like the readers just but there's no sus- only fathers. There's but no <laughs> sustainable business without screwing somebody. Yeah, no, but I mean, yeah. you used to be. I mean, the only to- reason Twitter investors got their money out is because some idiot paid $44 billion for it. <laughs> yeah, all, exactly. All successful businesses are built on vice. Every single one. Says the priest. No, and and, and about, says, says the priest. What about you know? Probably better than most. No, I, I'm dead serious. Even mm. nonprofits. You know how we we raise money? It's all based we on appeal greed, to ego, pride. We appeal to legacy, lust. What about Legos? How are Legos built on vice? Uh, Legos are built on this idea of idealizing childhood, the simplicity of building something, and the greed of children. That's very I disrespectful. I gotta have more Lego to woo land out my I twenty thousand dollars. No, no, I, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. City. Oh my gosh, I gotta have more Lego. Get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just yeah. saying you have to understand that every successful business, in some way or form, appeals to a vice. Sure. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let me just look. The seven deadly sins. <laughs> I have to do a little refresher. Oh, we should do the seven deadly sins and then group the companies in those Zen diagrams. <laughs> Gluttony, lust, greed, despair. I don't think anybody's making money on despair, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to research. Uh, Netflix. Yeah, only fans. We were, we were watching Sandman, and I think Netflix is making quite Anger, a lot of money. Anger, wrath, Twitter. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. Sloth. Yeah. Video games. Podcast. Yeah. No, no. Sloth is, door- <laughs> Sloth is DoorDash. Oh. DoorDash. Yeah. Fair. Pride. <laughs> Who's making money on Pride? Lego. Lego? No. I'm Actually, proud of myself. No, Twitter yeah. is also pride. The, the, yeah. A lot Twitter of is pride. Yeah, people uh, want to Facebook post. They pride. want to get those I mean, likes, those followers. Nobody actually Instagram. goes on Facebook and says, oh, God, really bad PMS today. I My head is killing me. <laughs> so, like, had a lovely day today with the family. Here's some art from the taken I shot. just woke up. My hair is perfect and my skin yeah. is flawless. <laughs> that's, that's Instagram, I think. Lust, yeah, no, that is. Sloth, yes. wrath. I think we got them all. Envy. Envy. Who's based on envy? Insta. Yeah, Insta. 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 No, no, no. What's the one? with um uh for uh zillow zillow oh, is in yeah. there you go well, i use zillow to actually get a house so. well there's really? some, some people uh, use it for real but Brianna, most people you, use it you for may anything. actually be one of the virtuous people which means you need to get <laughs> out of here yeah. we Just think go. of we think of virtue think of brianna Williams. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that interesting i think you've got a new we're going to call it the Balasir theorem. <laughs> i'm so going to do this all I'm gonna make internet a big poster. companies are based <laughs> 
on um, one ice. of the seven deadly sins. Well, you should come up with some elements so when you talk about Twitter, the, the, the deadly right. sin comes up. Are there any venial screen? sins who, that who I can do that maybe... Every great fortune is based on a crime? Yeah. Um, I'm damned if I could remember Probably someone British. Hang <laughs> on. <laughs> 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 I mean, the monarchy... Uh, to get Brianna back in on this. Yeah. <laughs> Behind every great fortune <laughs> is a flag. There is a crime. Uh, Balzac. I'm, oh, okay. Yeah, don't blame the Brits for okay. this one. He's a French It was a good guess. It was a good guess. It's a French bloke with a very dodgy sounding name. I didn't know this, it wrong, but it was but the epigraph Balzac. of the Godfather. It was the epigraph of oh the Godfather. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, it's. Um, it was inspired by a sentence written by Balzac. Le secret de grande fortune sans cause apparente est une crime oublié. The secret of grand fortunes without obvious cause is a forgotten crime. See, it just sounds better in French. Yeah. 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 Some languages are better at that. Really you know, is. this is a reason there's been no German love poets, you know. It just. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to mention Paris did a great story about something I'd never heard of. It was your weekend You've never piece. heard of Blind? I'd never heard of Blind. And now I'm worried that my employees are living. Have you ever heard of Blind? No? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you have, Lou. Big time. Yeah. Big time. So what is, yep. what, so what is Blind? So, I mean, I'll, I'll let Paris uh, talk about it more in depth, but I can tell you anything that happens at, at a Microsoft or a Google or, or whatever, people get on there and they, they voice their... You know, they're, they're issues with and it. And you're doing it anonymously, do it anonymously, right? They can't yeah, tell yeah. you're doing it. Uh, like, Well, I mean, they have your email address. Yeah. So they could technically like relate you back to a username, but they don't supposedly don't tell the company. Tech so people are smart enough. Say whatever you want. They could anonymize. I would imagine they could anonymize it. It's Paris writes. Yeah, I mean, so those blind- are like out of the loop. Go ahead. The blind app, I think we should just explain what it is for if anybody's yes. listening. It's essentially an anonymous workplace social media app where you know there are no uh, names but everybody on there has to sign up with a company email address post and comment so you know you'll see something from a username it's just like xyz one two three but they say amazon next to it and that means they're a verified current amazon employee who signed up using their amazon email and then People will use this to talk about kind of tech news, anything related to work. But you also then have kind of these internal company channels where Amazon employees can talk to Amazon employees. And so it's been a great source of like leaks and interesting tech news, because if you see a post from somebody who's a verified Amazon employee saying, hey, don't know, don't ask me how I know, but layoffs are coming next week you might pay attention more than just some Yahoo on Reddit. And it, it's pretty difficult to, to tease out sometimes the parody and the trolling accounts too. So like people oh, yeah. start it's a real wild terrible West. conversations about people internally sometimes that you're like, wow, that's not real. So yeah, it's just tough sometimes. Paris writes, blind has become something like a Reddit for workplaces, mixing anonymous nastiness with layoff leaks, confessions about compensation and a bonanza of corporate gossip. Oh, this sounds juicy. Can I just go and read it or do you have to have... You can, yeah. Anybody can go and read it. You can sign up with a personal email and uh, you can just read whatever you want. You can also just look at it on uh, the web browser without signing in. You could use your Twit email, though, 
Leo, and make up make an account. I'm going to do a parody account. <laughs> and I mean, the thing is, there is, you know, precedent. A lot of CEOs and founders, the reason why I ended up doing this article is because this is a really popular app among, you know, tech workers and people in Silicon Valley. But a lot of what they're talking about are the sort of things that would piss bosses off. And yeah. I started to hear that, you know, CEOs and founders absolutely hate blind. I mean, it's like all something a lot of them talk about all the time. Well, the I worst thing you can to- do from the point of view of the boss is reveal how much you make. Bosses hate that. You're legally protected. Yes. You can do that. It's not illegal. Bosses will lie to you. They'll say, oh, no, we keep this secret. This could be a there's not where no retaliation is allowed. But they do not want you to do that because then everybody has a better negotiating position. Uh, because you know how much I know how much Jammer B's making. I want to make more if I'm running the board, right? So, and ju- that's one of the real reasons why Blind has taken off is because I mean, one of the primary uses outside of kind of gossip is people coming to Blind being like, "Hey, I got this offer from Google. Here is you know my experience. Here is the salary. Here's the comp, like equity package and things like that. I have an offer from let's say like Microsoft, also one from Uber. Here's what I've got. What do you guys think I should do? How should I negotiate? And people will get in there with very specific advice and examples. You, um, you'll find it interesting. A lot of the templates for just normal posts include TC. You'll see TC around there, which is total comp, and people just put that in there as like they're they're like the bottom part of their post so they could be, they could be talking about oh, the wow. lunchroom and then just yeah. put tc their level and what they're making oh, and that's my. like just what they do by default that's table stakes wow yep. it mm-hmm. became you right it became well known and i somebody some of you may remember this when a uh, career korean air uh, lines uh, vice president lost it on a flight uh, to seoul this is back in 2014 uh, she was served macadamia nuts in a paper bag rather than on a plate. <laughs> she actually forced the plane to return back to the gate, but the, then a post by an employee resulted in global media coverage, and she ultimately got a year in jail for yeah. saying, where's my plate? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out you can't really make a plane uh, go back wow. um, to the gate just because of over macadamia nuts without having some people get involved. I will say as a f- company founder and principal, I believe, I think this is great. I think people, uh, you know, it benefits employees. Uh, it's too bad that you have to sift through some of the stuff to know whether it's real or not. Is it pretty obvious uh, Lou, when you read something that oh, some of them is, are, some yeah. of them are people usually come to aid. So they'll say, this is not true. This is a troll or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, most people will kind of jump on that, but it's, it's sometimes pretty difficult. Look like at these. When, some, when the layoffs happen, you know, recently, you know, people always ask, what's the reason for the layoffs? And sure. There's really, you know, most people don't know um, there, you know, there could be performance related or budget related or whatever. And they'll go in there and speculate, but say it's like fact and then people don't know. So it's, it's tough. This is the uh, from Paris's article at the information. This is the poster blind posted in 2015 oh, yeah. around. The, you remember this around the campus? Oh, yeah. Mini oh, yeah. Microsoft 2.0. Talk to your coworkers anonymously. And then uh, on a phone screen, it says, okay, I think I just got promoted. My comp only went up 8%. Is this right? And then a poll. No, you got screwed. <laughs> yes, this is normal. It depends. And then search for blind in the App Store or Google Play. This ad not affiliated nor endorsed by Microsoft. Like Yammer. 
which of course was the big acquisition of uh, 2015. Um, yeah, it's wow. so funny because Microsoft was one of the first companies where Blind ever really took off, and they got it to take off by um, making these posters, which reference this thing called Mini Microsoft, a really yep. popular anonymous blog in uh, the mid aughts, and the two founders snuck into Microsoft's campus uh, in the dark of night. Oh one God. of them drove the other one who was skinnier and faster sprinted out and slapped them on different uh, things before security guards could catch them. And it helped their app. Well, yeah. Take off. I love this Uber after Susan Fowler's famous blog post about sexual harassment, the company banned blind in 2017 Tesla and others have gone a step further and blocked inbound account verification emails from blind. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, to stop employees from signing up. Wow. What a story. That makes sense. Yeah. That actually makes sense. Yeah. Companies don't want it, right? Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. I asked the uh, founders about this and they were like, actually, we don't really worry about it too much. It's been a thing ever since we were in Korea. It's very easy to get around email blocks. We can just make other emails and Ooh. do other things. But he's like, it actually benefits us because when this happens, it's the Streisand effect. You know, yep. people yeah. start asking, what's blind? I hadn't heard of this. Why are yep. they blocking it? And look them up and download it. And people end up talking. You can't really. Um, they had originally decided to make the app because there had been a, it's a South Korean company. And, um, one of the co-founders had worked for the Korean search giant Naver, which had had a, its own short lived anonymous employee forum, um, that really took off among employees. And then the company shut it down once they started getting too frank and talking about you know, the sort of things bosses don't like you to talk about, like compensation and whatnot. So from the beginning, they've been like, we know companies aren't going to like this, but we've got to find a way to give workers a voice. There's a long tradition of this. I mean, there, uh, there been, there was, remember Yak? that was really caused problems in high schools. It was And Secret? Secret? Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, both yeah, of which I have mean, gone so away. Yeah, I mean, so Blind came to the U.S. right as all of these anonymous apps had really taken off and gotten a... A uh, bad rap for just being anonymous toxic toxic cesspools. Yeah, and I think the thing that set Blind apart was it's tied to work. There is some level of verification. Yik Yak's still around. I didn't don't. realize that. I think secret. Really? I think secret went away. Right? Yeah, secret died like sixteen months after launching. Yeah. Wow. Because it was well, frankly, it was a real problem. I note though yeah. that on the Yak webpage, find your herd on Yik Yak. Anonymously connect with it, connect with anybody at your college. So they're pushing it more at college level. And there are at the links at the bottom, there's jobs, privacy, terms, and law enforcement. <laughs> mm. So clearly, <laughs> I mean, this is one of the issues is that some of the, some of the traffic on these sites was really uh, actionable. Yeah. It was completely inappropriate. Um, good. Well, I'm, I hope Blind uh, does well and continues to do well. I think that's a great thing. And I'm so glad you are doing so well at the information. It is, it is worth subscribing for Paris Martineau alone. Uh, but I get so much great stuff. You, you, a lot of scoops. Um, I love the weekend, uh, edition, just some, just some really good stuff. Yanko works there now. He's just did a thing on exploding kittens. Uh, Jessica lesson is always interesting and provocative. Um, 
I, I'm glad yeah, to put it in a plug for the take information. Take a fun deep dive. Go read the comments on my blind story. People are oh up in arms. There's 15 of them. You know, oh, uh, oh, <laughs> I think like, the blind founders got in there at some point. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I love it. Yeah, you have to. The commenting on uh, and the information is great because. You cut, it's 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 a process. It almost feels like you have to be approved. Like it's very high level commenters. It's I guess, tied to your subscriber account. Right. So if you comment, you have to comment with your name as a real which person. Makes it very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've made comments on. on I've made comment once, I think, on the information, and I, it was a great conversation that resulted uh, out of it. So. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of CEOs being like blind attracts whiners and haters. <laughs> yeah, it's only the negative people. You never hear from the happy employees on blind. People aren't being like, I love my boss for giving me a job. He's great. My favorite comment, Kenneth Goldman says, going to the app now. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the big fear. We all need libraries and publishers and authors and readers. All Guys, need uh, I'm going to get under my desk because there's an earthquake. Okay. Keep talking. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna keep on, Corey. Let's watch the earthquake happen uh, as, it, as it unrolls. Uh, I think you're all right, Corey. I'm definitely going to stop talking and about he's my not, thing. He's it's not, not going to be safer under the desk. I just want, <laughs> I want to point out there's a, quite a few books <laughs> in there. I hope those bookshelves are strapped down. I think he's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> it could be related to Hurricane Hillary. Who knows? By the way, 5.0, no. it was uh, at the uh, in the Sulphur Mountain, east southeast of Ojai, yeah. and you it, have survived, it, thank goodness. It really rattled our dishes, and I just gotten a text from my, my wife and daughter inside the house, and they're fine. Good. Uh, but boy, oh boy, like, it actually, I really, really felt it. Like, yeah. You jumped on you jumped under that desk. Uh, I, I, I hope you have a strong like, desk. I'm just I, I got an alert saying um, there is an earthquake. Get into shelter, and I was like, "Oh, that's cute. I don't feel anything." And then a minute later, I was like, "Wait, that's, this is the new Google alerts. They're very interesting. They uh, they let you know ahead of time." Uh, yeah, well, I've, yeah, because the, the travels at the speed of light, right? Exactly, um, and the earthquake travels at the less than the speed of sound. through the mantle of the, of this the is Earth. A, yeah. This is a very big Monday morning for me. Like Corey's got his earthquake. We got the Simon and Schuster news, and Corey had much nicer news earlier before you we went on air. Can we talk about that? I, I still think that's the coolest thing that's ever happened. I am watching. The, I haven't watched Futurama in a while. I will watch it tomorrow. That is for sure. That's exciting. Yeah. Corey, can, can you tell everybody that? Because we didn't talk about that on air, did we? Yeah, we did. That was in the show. Yes, absolutely. Was that in the show? Oh my god. I still think that that is like of all of the things that have ever happened. And there's some really cool thing happened. I think when Margaret Atwood blurbed the book, that was a very cool thing that happened. But yeah. you're yeah, famous I'm now, Rebecca. Getting our, getting you're going to be future on episode. That's good. Be, that's pretty good. Yeah. It doesn't get much I'm better. Probably than probably that. The, the Varifakis thing, you know, do you, I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah. He was the, no, of course I know who he is, but no, this no, is I mean, future I, mean, I, I know you know who he is. I don't know if Leo follows <laughs> I him. I do, do not you know? know who he is. So Varifakis was the finance minister of Greece during Grexit, during the moment in which ah. Greece nearly defaulted on its debt. Yeah. But before that, he was the chief economist of Valve. What? And he was he he designed the economics of all of Valve's multiplayer games. You're kidding He's amazing. So this is the book. It's coming out in a couple of months. I blurbed it. And when I got to the end, I was like, wait a second. He says nice things about me on the last page. In the book, Techno-Feudalism, What Killed Capitalism. Corey, you're going to be the guy, you know, 
You and Rebecca, they'll be the, they'll be, you know, they'll say, yeah, they wrote this in the British Library and it was incredible. And I don't know. <laughs> no, like, like Marx, we like wrote Marx. it indoors because we couldn't leave the house because we pawned our pants. <laughs> wow. By the way, good news. No tiki's. Were, nor was any uh, were any panelists harmed in that uh, in that LA earthquake, but fast action on Corey's part. <laughs> I want some fast action out of you right now for our sponsor, Rocket Money. I love these guys. I've been a Rocket Money customer for years now. Uh, if I here, let me ask you this: If I asked you how many subscriptions you have that you're auto paying out of your account every month. Would you even know? Would you be able to list them? Would you even know how much you're paying? I can't, I'll tell you, I wouldn't have known before I started using Rocket Money. Uh, I thought I knew, but I was very wrong. Rocket Money saved me thousands of dollars. Rocket Money, for instance, <laughs> found a campaign contribution. You know how when you do campaign contributions? Everybody does this now. They're sneaky. They have little checkboxes that make this a monthly, make this recurring. I didn't notice. And I didn't know, I, I must have missed it. I didn't notice it on my credit card. For months, I was paying a significant amount of money for a campaign, by the way, that was already over. Thank you, Rocket Money. You literally saved me thousands last year. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills. It's great for budgeting. It is an amazing thing. I know what my net worth is at any given moment. Rocket Money has more than 5 million users. That's a, that tells you something, right? And they've helped save members an average of, get this, $720 a year. More than $500 million in canceled subscriptions. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. If you see something you don't want, hey, wait a minute. Why am I giving that person a campaign contribution? The election was two years ago. You, <laughs> you press a button. By the way, you don't have to call them. You can cancel it with a single tap. You don't never have to get on the phone with customer service. Rocket Money does it for you. This, this is a no-brainer. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash twit. I think this is the best tool I've ever used for this. Rocketmoney.com slash twit. No, that's why I've been a member for years now. Rocketmoney.com slash twit. Thank you, Rocket Money, for saving me big. I'm such an idiot. Oh, man. That's so many subscriptions. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's see. Um, we have Nicholas DeLeon from Consumer Reports on, Dan Morin from Six Colors and Macworld, and Ian Thompson from The Register. Now, that is a great panel. You know there's going to be a great discussion. We talked about Apple's explanation of why it decided to just abandon that CSAM, scan, CSAM scanning tool. Apple declined. They announced and then backed down on including a CSAM uh, tool, a tool for uh, checking for child sexual abuse material on iCloud. They announced it in August, almost exactly two years ago. Yeah. Um, then they paused that like a month later because they said, oh, yeah, nobody likes this. Especially, oh yeah, never it never went into effect. Never yeah, happened because yeah, it was extremely you know controversial, obviously because it involved scanning stuff on people's devices before it was uploaded to the cloud. And I think 
this is the rare case of them doing a nice job of actually listening to people and taking into account the concerns and then rethinking and deciding not to do something. Uh, and especially, I think, with all the other legislation they're now having to fend off about encryption and security, it is real difficult for them to open that door, right? Because if they start scanning for this material, what is to prevent a government asking to scan for some other material that surely you can identify, right? Hey, you did it for this. So perhaps you can do it for terrorism or for stuff we just don't like. So I think they realized that was opening uh, a door they didn't want to open. Yeah, we talked a lot about it and concluded that it really wasn't a good idea. I mean, look, this is the problem. Nobody wants to. Nobody thinks this is a good, you know, child pornography is a good thing in any respect. Everybody wants to to put the perpetrators in jail and stop it stop the practice however uh there is a limit to how far you can go i mean sure we could catch every criminal if we gave law enforcement you know access to our bedrooms and our and our living rooms as well as our streets but but we all agree that that's you know a bridge too far uh the reason this is not a dead subject this week a new child safety group that calls itself heat initiative again interesting branding said, told Apple it's going to organize a campaign to demand that the company detect, report, and remove child sexual abuse material from iCloud and offer more tools for users to report CSAM to the company. The problem with this is you put out this press release, most people without thinking say, yeah, well, that's a good idea, Apple, you should do that. Because they don't understand that there's a consequence to doing this. And then it's up to us and others to explain, well, this is the problem. Uh, it doesn't yeah, I mean, stop if there. You, if you did a questionnaire saying, you know, would you like to have you know see some material uh, banned from the internet? Pretty much everyone sure, would be fine with of that. Course. But if you said to them, would you be okay with backdooring your personal your personal communications and giving license for the police or anyone else who you know, Congress deems suitable to have access to all of your material? People would be a slightly more iffy about that. Yeah. Uh, it's an it's an easy win for politicians, right? Like, because then for them mm. to come out, like you just said, to come out saying, "Like I'm against this, and this is what we're going to do to stop this." It's like everyone again, no one wants to be the person to st stand up to them and be like, "Yeah, but," and then because they'll immediately get branded as supporting these terrible things that happen, right? Which is not what we're saying. It's just it is a complex issue and it has implications well beyond this. I mean, this is, you know, I'm sure Ian, you know, has, has thoughts on the, the encryption laws that are now being floated in the UK as well as elsewhere and like similar issues, right? Yeah. You could oh. use these to do things against, you know, people who are doing nefarious things, but what are the consequences and implications of doing that all over? Well, so, I mean, in the British case, the, the the Home Secretary was like, well, technology is under development, which will allow us to both you know, secure end-to-end -end encryption and find yeah. this couple of... Someday. I've been hearing yes. that for 10 <laughs> or 15 years now, and it's never going to happen. Is, the, can't is get that a magic? Is that what that technology is? Is it magic? Well, this is it. It's, it's like the old saying, you can't get a little bit pregnant. You either, you know, you go the whole <laughs> hog or you don't. <laughs> and as somebody in our uh, IRC is saying, the problem is in many countries, being gay is considered harmful to children. Yeah. Starting to become that way in this country, sad to say. And so if you start enforcing this, where do you stop? And do you give Saudi Arabia the ability to hang gay people because, you know, you're giving them names and addresses of people uh, self-identifying on the website? That's not good. So this is Apple's response. So this is interesting because normally Apple... I think, Dan, during this whole thing, Apple's said nothing, and they yeah. just let it play out. 
Uh, but they're taking this heat initiative petition seriously. Uh, Apple's director of user privacy and child safety uh, sent a, a response to Wired saying child sexual abuse material is abhorrent. Gotta, you have to say that. That has to be the first sentence. Yes, it's horrible. And we are committed to breaking the chain of coercion and influence that makes children susceptible to it. Yes. But after collaborating with an array of privacy and security researchers, and this was two years ago, digital rights groups, child safety advocates, the company concluded it could not proceed with the development of a CSAM scanning mechanism, even one built specifically to preserve privacy. Uh, this is the quote, scanning every user's privately stored iCloud data would create new threat vectors for data thieves to find and exploit. It would also inject the potential for a slippery slope of unintended consequences. Scanning for one type of content, for instance, opens the door for bulk surveillance and could create a desire to search other encrypted messaging systems across content types. Apple's really come around on this because I remember two yeah. years ago, they weren't quite so adamant about that. Right, Dan? No, yeah, they they very much promulgated it on the idea like we have found this perfect solution to that bridges privacy and the ability to actually act against this. And, uh, you know, Apple at its worst is often very convinced of the fact that it is incredible and amazing and has no faults. And I credit them for taking a step back and actually not only discontinuing this program, but now speaking out about it, I think is uh, is a good move on their part. So it, it may be a, a, you know, a 180, but. I think there's a value to saying we have more information and we've reconsidered, right? There's a lot of people, hmm. politicians, again, especially that would never do that. They would never turn a, like a 180 on that because you got to stay the course and stick to it. But there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? We did more research. We People talked to us. We learned something and we decided, you know what? That is not the best approach to this. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, we did it. We had something similar in the UK with the Ripper Act, which was uh, introduced after the the uh, bombings in London, which would basically allow the police much easier access to search all your documents. And then, when they published the legislation, they were allowing everyone down to parish councillors. So that's kind of like the equivalent of your town, you know, your your town's elected board to have access to that kind of information. And luckily, the Home Secretary's son was an IT consultant, and he sat him down and said, look, this is a stupid idea because... And the legislation got amended. But yeah, you're right. No politician wants to be seen to be U-turned, even if they are actually in the wrong, and they know it. Apple said, we concluded it was not practically possible to implement without ultimately imperiling the security and privacy of our users. That's, by the way, correct, right? And I think it's almost mathematically provable. If if you've got a system, however however many safeguards you build in that reveals this stuff, ultimately it can be used to reveal much more and and right. use oh, and Apple. The last thing Apple wants to do is get requests from Saudi Arabia to say, "Hey, tell us who's gay." That's the last thing Apple wants to do. That would be devastating right. to them as a company. Yeah, I mean, especially I think you know. Certainly taking into account Tim Cook's personal life that I think he would certainly not like to be seen as enabling that kind of thing. And it's the sort of thing, you know, it's the sort of same sort of argument that we're going to be having about encryption laws of the world over, which right. is you can't make a backdoor that only good guys can access because there's no way there's no card swipey system where you can swipe something and be like, see, it proves I'm a good guy. Right. Like that technology doesn't exist. So as long as you open the door for someone, you're risking open the door for everybody. And, you know, if you actually invent a system like that, enforce it and tell people you've got it, Russia, China, North Korea are going to launch mini Manhattan projects to break it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, all the politicians can they can say what they want. But I interviewed Bruce Schneier on this a, a, a few years back, and he's like, "Look, it's mathematics. You can right. pass all the laws you want, mm-hmm. but you can't break fundamental laws of mathematics unless you actually invent a new mathematical system." Yep, that's kind of what I'm saying. Is you, it's very clear. There's no way to do this properly. Mm. Uh, however, it's also very clear that governments will continue to try this. Uh, Apple is, you know, and and I should mention Facebook with WhatsApp and uh, other companies, Google, um, are moving more in the direction of offering full end-to-end encryption to their customers. That's what customers want. That's the right thing to do. It also lets these big tech companies off the hook because they can correctly say to law enforcement, we can't give you the plain text. We don't have access to that. That's not the case, by the way, with iCloud right now. They do have the keys to that. And that's one of the reasons this for, is the- for for backups specifically. Yes, there is. I mean, like iMessage and stuff like that is is end to end encrypted. But yeah, if you get your iCloud backups, they can. There are loopholes for some of this information. Yeah, and even, again, even Apple, WhatsApp backs up in the clear yeah. to iCloud. Yeah. So, you know, there are there are always going to be loopholes and there are some cases where Apple has made choices about these things in order to preserve some degree of convenience, because that's always the balance, right? It's convenience versus security, because for photos, for example, this was a big deal for a while where, you know, yes, you could have Apple would have the keys to your photo backups, but no Apple employee ever wanted to be in a position of having you know, somebody coming to their store and be like, I lost all my photos of my children, of like my, you know, uh, deceased parents or whatever, right? Like they wanted the ability to say like, okay, in certain cases we can restore that. That was a a case they made. But it now they do now offer the ability to further encrypt stuff if you want to, um, the advanced data protection feature that they rolled out last year. But again, they warn you a lot like, look, you can do this, but it's really on you. If you lose access to this, it is gone. Which is what we want. I mean, obviously, this Lex Friedman interview is an ad for the new MetaQuest 3, right? I mean, it was basic. It, but they could do it because there's so many cameras. See these cameras on the side that they can see your body. They can see your face. They can they can transmit that uh, information. I guess there's... And Apple's promised that as well with the Vision Pro. There's cameras everywhere on the Vision Pro. Um you know, it is interesting tech. I think it would probably have avoided the uncanny valley if they had scanned someone who looks more naturally human than Mark Zuckerberg. But are you saying he looks like a droid? <laughs> I mean, I'll in real life, he looks uncanny valley. So that's that's not a good start. Yeah, you can't tell if he's real or not because he doesn't look real even when he is. In fact, that's on these, bar. his complexion that's is actually bar. too natural, right? He's He's got some yeah. color. Yep. He looks like he's been... <laughs> um, this actually looks better than real Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. I mean, that's but the they have, they've So they've done Snoop Dogg. They've done Mr. Beast. They've created a bunch of characters. I can't remember. The, I'll have to see if I can find the list of... Well, uh, yeah, those are the, the AI personalities, right, that they're launching yeah. into all of their apps. Uh, Tom Brady's one of them. I'm a Boston yeah. guy here, so... Um, we're pretty psyched to, to have Tom Brady. So what do you want to do with Tom now that you, <laughs> now that you can get in a room with well, him? It's, it's not officially Tom Brady. It's Tom Brady acting as like, a yeah, they don't a, give him his name either. Right. Yeah. They give they, they call him bra or something like that. I can't remember what they, <laughs> I, I am that I watched that video where Mark Zuckerberg walked around his house and introduced you to all of the different AI personalities you had. I don't know if you saw that, but it was hard to find. It's not 
easily accessible on on YouTube. Oh, um, good. I'd like the, to find know, it. Yeah. His parent, his parents come over, uh, and they start talking. They have this like virtual dinner party with one of the Jenners. I was like, if this is the future, I want out. Like I. <laughs> I do not want to hang out with any of these these personalities, Mar- even if they are AI. Mar- yeah. Mark surreal, uh, Mark surreal dinner party with yeah. AI celebrities. Um, all right, let's let's. There's Tom. Let me turn the sound up here. Uh, maybe There's also AI. meta AI, an assistant that can help you with all kinds of. Oh wait a minute! I got too many tabs open. You? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got too many different things going at once. I got to close. That's, that's the video, though. You got the right video. I got yeah. the right video? Okay, let me, yeah. I got, I saw. Yeah, I've seen this too. Oh, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm glad you mentioned it, because I, I kind of want to, kind of want to see. Uh... So where should I? I don't like, I smoke. never want to eat smoked meats again. He's imagining Sorry, smoked meats. Hey, Mark, your parents are See, here. by the way, incidentally, while I think of the Roman Empire every day, I think he thinks of smoked meats. Often, <laughs> I don't know why. All right, go. so here's Mark's parents. Hi, Wait, well, I go. feel bad. Mark's so parents. There is Brew. Yes, his yeah. name is Brew. I feel bad because Mark's parents. I mean, do you think yeah. they had to do this? <laughs> it's like, uh, Mom, Dad, would you come over? I want to uh, do a little ad for Brew. All right, let's see him. Let's see Tom Brady. He is in a screen though. He's not in a headset or anything. Too. Hi, Brew. Hi. Yeah. There. Mom's Before already come early and help with dinner. I'm so down for dinner. Let's make something delicious. Who's nope. that? Is that I'm Kendall Jenner? Now that's that's a gen- that's one of the Jenners. Yes. Yeah, it's Jenner. That's Kylie Jenner. Kylie. Kylie. Thank you. Let's get this done. No slacking. Is it that's dancing? Victor. They don't have their real names. And I want to see you sweat, especially you. Okay, wait a minute. Perfect. Mark, as always, Jarvis. Mark, that laughter was so bad. <laughs> I gotta do that again. Uh, Somebody's gotta that meme upsetting. that. Somebody's gotta meme that laughter because that was creepy. Oh, Mark, your toes is ready. Perfect as always, Jarvis. You got it, Mark. All right, so watch out for these AIs to come soon. By the way, too. Jarvis was Mark's personal project for an AI assistant that he only had in his house. They never yeah. released that, but apparently he's making toast for him. Oh, this is. I, I'm thinking about becoming Amish. <laughs> I mean, that, none of that, none of that looks Sound attractive it. to me. Like, well, this not is, even a little bit. This is the problem, frankly, with Mark Zuckerberg is that he isn't. He doesn't have his finger on the pulse of humanity, <laughs> shall I say? He doesn't. Okay, I, I, yeah, I, I agree, and I think that some of this, uh, you know, character stuff, right, where you're interacting with someone famous who's now an AI, is is very weird. Um, but I did do this story um, earlier this week or last week, I guess now. Um, where I talk to a bunch of people who are talking to these AI bots of like fantasy characters and, you know, they're often like, you know, really young Gen Z and I sort of get that, but I just, why do I need Kylie Jenner in my kitchen? Like, I just think that they're really thinking about the wrong context here. Like all those kids, like these were kids who were into fantasy fiction who are into like, you know, werewolves, vampires, that kind of stuff already. And like, they want to do that alone in their room. Right. Like, you know, they don't I just want to don't invite the their idea. parents over to make toast for them. Right. With Ki- it's with just like Kylie this very Jenner. odd circumstance. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's the issue. And I think also you see again and again that these big tech companies lean into the celebrities and they want like a celebrity endorsement. Whereas I actually think their user base is like 
we want this weird anime that you've never heard of. You know what I mean? Or like we like we don't actually want the celebrity endorsement. I think again and again for like these kinds of bleeding edge products, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Let me just play Mark's laugh one more. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I just it's so so, if, if you if you watch the beginning of it, Leo, it's gonna it's gonna burn your eyes too because he's waking up in his from his bed. Boom! What? Let's get this done. No slacking. If it involves dancing, I'm your girl. And I want to see you sweat, especially you. <laughs> oh God! Oh! All right, I want to see Mark wake up. Let's uh, let's. Yeah, go. it's it's. I've warned you. Okay, Mark Zuckerberg. This is how he begins his day. Morning, Mark. Room temperature is set to a cool 68 degrees. Loving your new voice. Thank you. A while back, I introduced my first AI, Jarvis, to help around the house. Apparently, Mark sleeps in his tiny ways. Jarvis is great, but what if you could have an AI that could help you with everything that you wanted to do? So I noticed to work with the way, building a whole Priscilla bunch. is nowhere to be found. She said, Mark, it's, if you do this, you're doing it on your own, buddy. Now, is this his real, is this the real bedroom or is this a set somewhere where they, they, they're trying to pretend? Maybe this is his bedroom in Mountain View. At the office. Is that the guest room? Maybe that's the guest room. It's played by familiar people. Fire in a hole! Let's go! This is Brew, our trash-talking sports expert. Hey, Brew, what do you know about epic comebacks? Kids, seriously. 1975 World Series. Now, now remember. Okay, okay. All right. As as someone who's lived in Boston for the last twenty five years, yeah, plus, yeah, and Tom Brady is not from he's not from Boston. Boston. He's, he's from here. He's, he's from, from San Mateo, he's California. From San Mateo. Yeah, yeah. So for him to use the the line "kid," which is what everybody in Boston does in their Boston accent, whatever, yeah, like. That's just cringe for me in in terms of of trying to have Tom Tom Brady's never said kid to anybody unless it's in the script. But imagine this, okay? Obviously, this is horrible. But but what if your Amazon? <laughs> I mean, really horrible. What if your Amazon Echo or your Google Assistant, if you asked a sports question answered in Tom Brady's voice? Obviously, it's AI created content, right? So part of the problem is that uh, the current AI, the current voices on these devices aren't great but also the the content they're delivering isn't great but they're talking about apple amazon google are all talking about putting these llms behind these voices at some point so now you've got an llm giving you sports information and it's doing it in record i don't want tom brady but it's doing it in a recognizable maybe you know what john madden if it were john madden's voice that'd be cool right I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But uh, well, you'd have, you would have to get to John Madden's. That's too late now. Uh, You're state, right. It's too late to, to agree to it. Yeah. Well, but there's enough video of him that it, and, yeah. Oh, you, you know, obviously it. Tom Brady agreed to it. How much did Meta pay Tom Brady or Mr. Beast to do this, or or Kylie Jenner to do this? They must have paid them millions, right? You would think. Yeah, you would think they would have classic stuff given them right some there. money. Hmm. Thanks for the tip, Brew. I don't want to call him There's Brew. I'm sorry. AI, That's really awful. That can help. That's really awful. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't. I didn't pay for any of the celebrity voices for my GPS. Oh, I did. When, when we oh, I did the for Tom. Tom, oh. I did. I uh, had. Um, no, I. Yeah. Oh, my. Who's favorite, telling you where to go, Leo? Dennis Hopper, and it was so <laughs> funny because he would say. You've arrived. But why would anyone want to go here, man? It was awesome. 
And then uh, GLaDOS from the Portal games, you could get her voice on TomTom, and she would tell you the wrong. She Instead of saying turn left, she'd say turn right. So that was interesting. <laughs> wasn't useful. We had, Leo, we had Cortana, which was, oh, that was a terrible. voice that yeah. millions of gamers around the world That's right. love. That's right. And no one used Cortana. Yeah. So Mike Elgin uh, has been going around Oaxaca. Yes. Wearing his meta glasses. Did you, yep. did, did, did any, was, so show me, do you have them with him? These are the new Ray-Ban, the second editions. Yeah. 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 Oh, and they look just like regular no, spectacles. Do they, is there a light that's on when you're recording? Yes. There's a light that, uh, that goes on. I can demo these. Uh, hang on. Let me, uh, let me switch glasses here. So nobody could tell anything when I was doing this. So I basically say, hey, Meta, take a picture. And then... Oh, it did. I heard a little sound. And if and I, I, saw the if light. I press and hold the, this little button, it, it, it pulses when you're doing a video. Yeah. And you can preset it to be a 15-second, 30 or 60-second video, and then it stops by itself or it stops if you push the button. But the surprising thing is that it's got a voice assistant like Siri. It's really good. I mean, really, really good. Is it good. called it Jarvis? Doing, <laughs> no, no, it's that's it's, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, personal it, assistant. Exactly. May I show? Oh, he's talking to you. Sure. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't interrupt. May I show the video? I think it's on your Facebook. Actually, it's not on your. Insta. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Please do. Okay. I, I, you- I have a gazillion picture. I was there for a day of the dead and just walking around yeah. taking pictures of the street scene and all that. It was really great. Let me see if I can uh, find but, it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we, they're, we they're, were there really- two years ago with you guys for the day right. of the dead. It was incredible. What an I mean, experience! Visually, it's yeah, it's really something. And it was but, nice because you let me keep my smartphone. Uh, I was really, <laughs> really right. pleased. I wanted to ban all electronics, but no, no, it, it's um. But these are so. Just to put it in perspective, Google Glass, which I was a glass hole back in the day, ten years ago or something, cost fifteen hundred dollars, and these cost three hundred, and the camera is vastly superior. It's a it's so a, a just, decent looking camera. This is mm-hmm. Amira, your wife, walking downtown. Yeah. I oh, recognize wow. the street in Oaxaca. That's really good. And it's Day of the Dead, it's so portrait everybody's mode, made up. Yeah. Optimized for, for Instagram. And you can live stream to Facebook and Instagram, That which is really interesting. That's really cool. And it's then, a little bobbly. People, like, you're walking around. I can see it's got some stabilization, but it's but it's it not does. like it's a... I mean, it's a little wobbly. I mean, yeah. these are coming from his sunglasses, Absolutely. though. No, like, I understand, a, but no, it's... I, I guess you, yeah. It's a first-person experience. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and I did. Uh, I made. I didn't post the pictures yet, but I made pizza before we went to Oaxaca, and I was just like tossing the dough and like had it. I was timing it so that it would take a picture of the dough in midair when I was like spinning it and all that stuff. And uh, that kind of thing is pretty cool because, of course, you can't oh, use your hands. This is horrible. There's a child. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Day of the Dead for you. <laughs> There's children lay in the street acting like they're acting dead. like they're dead. It's kind yeah. of a, but you know, I like the day of the day because it is this kind of embrace your morbidity thing, right? And exactly. it, unlike Halloween, it's like right up, right, right in your face. Mm-hmm. It's not like right. oh, spooky, spooky. No, no, it's like you're gonna die. And, and, let's and I'll honor take these the people off for a second, but yeah, let me see yeah, some exactly. more. You look cool in them. Well, you don't look. Uncool. I mean, they, they no. I mean, they look nobody, just like Ray-Bans. Yeah, exactly. And but I was surprised by the quality of the assistant. I was asking it, "How do you say stuff in Spanish?" And it was just telling me immediately. And you could use that immediately. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it was really really great. And uh, should I buy some of these? Three hundred twenty nine. Oh yes, plus. absolutely. You should buy them. No, okay. you know, no. Lenses. Okay, here. Okay, here's my counter argument. 
Yeah. A Good, normal please. Pair of, a normal pair Hold of, my hand. Okay. A normal pair of Wayfarers. <laughs> Tell me why. A normal pair of Wayfarers yes. is like $198. Yes. So you're talking about $100 well, that's more. That's not so bad. That's what I'm saying. Oh, you're telling me to buy them? I am. I'm going to buy Shoshana, them. Shoshana, help me. <laughs> I know I'm going to get a, a, a Garmin smartwatch just f- so I can see my altitude when I'm hiking. But beyond that, I'm like, I'm trying not to become a full robot, like just yet. You <laughs> fair, know? fair. Wouldn't you like to wear these, though, on your next hike? You take amazing pictures of these beautiful venues you're you're hiking in. and Oh, thank you. No, I, I hate wearing. I actually can't wear glasses or gloves oh, very easily. I okay. hate they get in the way of me doing stuff. Fair. I'm the only person on Earth who has this problem, but I feel like a moron and I like trip over myself. So, uh, but the fun thing is I have rain odds, which means my hands and feet go cold really fast. So I avoid wearing gloves until like they will not unfreeze. Then I'm like, fine. All right. I'll do it. So maybe Meta if- will make some smart gloves for you and then you can, well, you can benefit. Yeah. Here, here's yeah. the thing that people don't talk about with the, with the glasses that everybody talks about the camera, but it's really about the audio. The audio quality on, on the Ray-Ban Meta is, is very, very high. And the microphone quality, there are five microphones in it is very, very good, but you can't wear um, AirPods all day. Right. You can have something in your ear all day, but you can wear glasses all day. And so what's the battery life though? You can't listen all day. Can um, you? If you're actively using it and using the camera and streaming and all that stuff, I think it's like four hours. It has a case that has a battery inside. Oh, so okay. The case has a battery life of 24 hours, something wow. like that. So you but have the, the Wayfarers, which are the kind of the classic Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. Ray-Ban right. style. Exactly. And I, I have worn them at night and I did look like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> now, do you have, do you have the, the, uh, the ones with the, uh, the transition lenses or do you have just like no, the regular polarized ones? I, I polarized. I made the mistake of not getting those. And yeah. I probably am going to get a second pair that is clear. Um, and prescription is available, Kevin's right? You can send them your prescription. Yes. Right. Which is probably exactly. what I would do because I do wear glasses. I mean, yeah. I could wear them over my contacts, but I mm-hmm. think I'd probably want to wear them as yeah. eyeglasses. Yeah, but the, 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 the power of just walking around and have, having audio ready to go where you can just uh, use the assistant or you can hear your notifications or you can have a com- phone conversation. And the, the, the audio quality is excellent. And have nothing in your ears. It's really, um, it's really kind of freedom. It like feels liberating to have nothing in your ears and still have good quality audio uh, available. So I really like them. No, I mean, that, that was the thing for me too. So I think we're going to buy these. I think I'm going to get the transition lenses though, which are more expensive. Oh my God, I thought you, no, I, you, I, thought you were I was holding my hand to talk me out no, of it. Now I, oh. No, not at all. Because the audio thing you pointed out. So I almost bought the Bose um, sunglasses with right. like, the audio thing. I almost bought this a few times. Those were again, not much less expensive. I didn't think they looked as good and didn't have the camera thing. So I don't know for me, even if I only use the camera occasionally, the fact that it's a pair of Wayfarers of which I have many and does it audio, does it give you pause that Apple very much wants to be in this space and will probably do something with air, both AirPods and the vision pro next year. No, by the time that happens, I mean, I've already bought the sunglasses, Leo, like, (laughs) You know, yeah. she's actually ordering them right now. I am now. actually ordering them right now. Um, I mean, well, because again, but, but you, but you don't to, understand. I oh, I buy a lot of Ray Bans. I, I usually lose them. Me. No, I wasn't going to talk you out of it. I was going to say I think it's actually weirdly. I think that this is one of the. Oh. As, as I agree with Shoshana, I don't want to be a robot, but at the same time, I'm kind of like you know what I kind of. Does it give anybody works. pause that this is meta? Yes, but at the same yeah. time, meh. They have my information anyway. You know, it's, I just you know recently rejoined Facebook, which uh, I only did because I thought, well, 
it was when the war broke out in uh, Israel, yeah. and I thought, well, I want to see what's going on with disinformation. I know it's a real problem. We've got an election coming up. It's probably appropriate for me to be there. It is so far worse than anything I could remember. For one thing, my newsfeed is filled up with stuff that I didn't follow or subscribe or even, I don't know these people. Right. And it's mostly women in bikinis, which I don't understand why they're doing this to me. Oh, come on. Oh, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. <laughs> well, I did. I somebody said, you know, you you can you can stop th- you can stop that by, but you have to one by one block each account. And somehow, I, I mean, there's hundreds of these. Anyway, I but I am Facebook, back on I Facebook, recently, so I could use this, yeah. right? I recently rejoined Facebook as well, and I found it so bizarre. It's so awful. That it would, it, I would basically want to go to follow somebody who was like my best friend in, in, in grade school yeah. and said, eh, you don't really know that person. And then it's always dangling these uh, this eye candy in front of me. Constant People eye that, candy. And it's like, and it lets me follow those. So I, I, it's like, it feels like, a, you know. It's, it's, like, an, it's, it's a straight ad feed. So yeah. here's, so I went past the one post I got from somebody I know to Elvis's old airplane being reconditioned to how to what? Oh, you know what? This is because I, I rejected all the bikini girls. So now they're going, oh, man, maybe you're interested in woodworking. You. How would you like to fix your cabinets? As somebody I know, NFL, they figure, well, if you're not interested in bikinis, mm-hmm. you, oh, here's some Marissa Tomei scanty. Oh, they're back. You can't yeah, get away from back. them. Man, that one was really it's, aggressive. I, they're, I'm, so, I'm, yeah. Look, I'm not a prude by any means, yeah. but I'm offended that this is like what they put in my feed. Like, <laughs> this is terrible. Look at this. Yeah. Babes, babes in bikinis and ladies in lingerie. You know what? I don't, I don't want to snooze it. I want to hide it. And but now, you know, I guess I should report it, but obviously nobody's reporting these things, right? Well, Twitter is kind of the same right now. Like how like people will like randomly like your post and it's you know, it's bots and it's all this it's like it's and Hannah's But how do they know me? All, how do they I yeah. thought I was private on Facebook. No. Yeah, on Facebook cookies, it's man. weirder. It's so creepy. It's just it's well, really that's, creepy. It's one of the you know, actually it, it it's one of the great things about the the meta glasses. It's doesn't have a screen. There's no algorithmic um, element to it at all. And you can do a lot of information gathering just through voice without ever looking at a screen. So it's kind of a, it, it, for small things, uh, everyday things like, well, who was that actress in that movie that I don't remember her name? You can, for that sort but of that's thing. what I use uh, Google or uh, Echo for, right? That's, yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always on. And, but you know One what? We can use our AirPods to do that. Yeah. Do you ever go, hey, Shlomo, you know, who was that actress? <laughs> um, I mean, I think if Shlomo worked better, I would. Yeah, sure. maybe that's the problem. Um, that yeah. is because genuinely I'm we are very close to actually having, you know, like the Star Trek communicator, like translator thing yeah. working. Yep. Um, and the AI stuff is there. It's just not in our smart devices yet. Well, Meta said that next year they're going to add a, a feature to the Meta Ray-Ban glasses, Ray-Ban Meta glasses, where it will uh, process visual information through AI. So you'd be looking at something and say, what is this? Uh, and it will tell you. Or like Google say, Lens. Give me an, but always. Yeah, exactly. Like give always. me instructions for how yeah. to operate this machine and it'll, it'll so this, tell would you. you I noticed you're not wearing them full time. Would you make these your regular glasses? Totally. It, totally. The, the problem is they're sunglasses. And uh, so I'm going to get the clear transitions with my prescription and I I can look like Clark Kent all the time. Exactly. Exactly. And then you whip them off and and then you have your Superman outfit and people would not recognize them Do they have other styles? 
Yeah, they do. They have different colors, different styles. Yeah. Uh, one thing I like about this, they've got a line of them where they're semi-transparent, like the original, like those old IMAX, like the yeah. Raspberry IMAX and stuff. So these are pretty cool, I think, where you can kind of see through them. They also have opaque So you say, you, you say the mistake you made was not buying clear ones so you could wear them all the time. Right. Well, or transition lenses. Right. So they'd be sunglasses. Yeah, so but I, I'm, yeah, I'm actually thinking about get. getting clear ones and, and wearing them both. I, I I have no reason to not wear them all the time. They're comfortable. I don't know. They're, they're, they're glasses. Okay, so I want to try these on. You must allow access to your camera. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to try these on. Oh, uh, yeah. See, there you go. Uh, those yeah. These are the headliners. <laughs> I mean, not bad. Uh, I look like uh, a stealth... <laughs> Lo- <laughs> There's the Jack Nicholson. Yep. That's not Jack Nicholson. That's no, Larry no, Bud that's, Melman. Uh, that? Yeah, there you go. Hey, Dave. <laughs> I uh, I don't want to give it. You already ordered them, or haven't you? I haven't yet. I'm, I'm trying to figure out like when I'm going to, like if I'm going to pick them up at a store. I do like this try-on feature, though, I have to say. Yeah. This Can you just nice keep way. this running for the rest of the show? Yeah, let's yeah. Just do the whole show, the show like, like this. this. Yeah. Do they have oh, heart shaped? Not... This is, uh, you know, the do right stuff, 1960s. Heart shape? Do they have like heart no. shape? No. The closest they have are these uh, Estelle Parsons in uh, teal blue. Let's see if I can get these. These are fun. Yeah. Should I get these, Shoshana? No, I think. Do they have like a square one? You need a square. Frame. I know. My head's so round. I should have uh, something minus that two, counters so I feel. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, you know, let's face it. You're wearing glasses that are feeding everything you're seeing back to Meta. Do you worry about privacy? I guess it wouldn't because that'd kill the battery and the bandwidth. Is it? Well, is it actually, always? A, is it connected? Uh, it's connected to your phone. Uh, uh, yeah, it is connected to the phone. And I was actually surprised. I asked it uh, last night. I was walking around uh, Mexico City, and I was wasn't sure what neighborhood I was in. And I asked the assistant what neighborhood I'm in. I'm sorry, we don't have access to your location information. I'm like, you're kidding. Um, I actually wanted it to have location information on me. I, I don't know. This I, is how they get you. That's how they get you. <laughs> so it's so. funny. I've been thinking about like utility because I'm I'm insane and obsessed with hiking. But I've been thinking about hiking utility and like every year I refresh my memory on like is am I looking at a grizzly? Am I looking at a black bear? Like AI glasses could be like oh the hump on the back. Like we can analyze this bear in front of you. It's not yeah. going to eat you and stuff like hey, that. Hey Meta, should I run or freeze? Yeah, yeah. Should I run and play dead? Like what's going on here? I am proud to say after watching that. I was I had my finger that whole segment hovered over the buy button. I did not buy and I still do not own those meta glasses. Although they just added this week a new feature that you can take a picture of something and it will do AI on it and tell you, you know, they gave an example uh, which tea is caffeinated. Maybe I will buy those glasses. <laughs> After all, uh Shoshana Weissman uh of R Street, Christina Warren from Microsoft uh, talk to me down. No thanks to you, Mike Elgin. Well, I don't know how uh, you feel about uh, subscriptions. We were talking about those subscriptions uh, earlier that just never quit. There is one subscription I would kind of strongly like you to consider, and that is a subscription to our own club, Club Twit. This has been a tough year. We've had to do layoffs. We've had to cancel shows. I don't want to do that anymore. I want Twit to continue into 2024 and into 2025. But frankly, uh, like a lot of podcasts, we're suffering. There have been podcasts, numbers of podcasts have gone out of business this year, podcast networks too. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen to us because we have you. 
We have a great community. And here's how you can help. Join Club Twit. $7 a month, uh, which is, I think, really affordable. And it and you get good benefits. You add free shows. Somebody said, but I want the ads. You can listen to shows with ads. But you have a choice now. That's the difference. Uh, if you like the ads, listen, by all means. You also get special content we don't put out anywhere else, including Scott Wilkinson's Home Theater Geeks, Hands on Mac. And we even have fun events like this. That was the escape box that we did. But I think the best benefit to me is the great community at Twit. You get to participate in our Club Twit Discord with other club members talking about the things geeks care most about. That's a lot for $7 a month. And the best part, it helps keep Twit on the air. If you like what we do and you want to keep listening, can I beg you, please join Club Twit. It really makes a big difference. It makes a difference, frankly, uh, between there being a Twit in 2025 or not. Twit.tv slash club twit. And thank you so much in advance for your contribution. Uh, all right. Well, it's been a great year. We've had so many great people on. This is just scratch the surface. Every Sunday between 2 and 5 p.m. Pacific time, uh, twit is on the air with great content. We talk about the week's tech news. It is our flagship show uh, and is one I want to keep doing into 2030s and beyond. So uh, I hope the only way we can do it is if you come back. So please, we'll be back uh, doing Twit uh, a week from now. What is that? January 6th? 7th. January 7th will be the next Twit. Uh, we live, fresh, all new. Meanwhile, I, it's, I know it's New Year's Eve. I hope you have a great New Year's Eve planned. We thank you for sharing it with us. And I want to wish you a very peaceful prosperous and happy 2024 on behalf of all of us at this week in tech have a great new year bye-bye this is amazing